Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. You are listening to episode 217, a two-and-a-half-hour episode wherein Mr. Graham McMillan and I ruminate on bad Doctor Strange comics, excellent Legion of Superhero comics, the Colin Bunn run on Aquaman, the Chris Claremont-Dave Cockrum run on Miss Marvel, what it would take for us to care about the X-Men again, a long sonic side-eye at the series finale of Sherlock, and oh so very much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, how are you? Uh, you know, I, I appreciate you asking. I'm a, I'm a little tired, I'm perhaps a touch nauseous. And, uh, oh no! Uh, yeah, you hey, know. great time to do a podcast! I know, right? Like, hey everyone! Also, I have to admit, I did an amazing job um, of perhaps reading just, just a plethora of unbelievably dull comic books. Like, I got on this podcast being like, well... It'll be hard to figure out what I'm going to talk about, apart from bitching about Roy Thomas for two hours. So, no. oh, you got more of your sleeve. You know that that's my sweet spot. <laughs> it is, but you know, it's it's fascinating. Um, uh, as you know, uh, Jeff's been very free with the uh, cash when it comes to his digital purchases, uh, particularly yes. around the first of the year. And um, before we go further. Yes. I'd just like to request, on behalf of me and, I suspect, some of our listeners, the less you could refer to yourself in the third person, considering our new president of the United States does the same thing, oh, the yeah. better. Ah, oh, man. that You know, I have to say, that kind of sucks. I, I really was looking forward to referring to myself in the third person, sort of throughout this podcast and also just generally. It's it, kinda... Are you doing it because of the Hulk? Is it is it a Hulk? You know, maybe uh, it would be. Yeah, it'd be kind of Hulk related. I did actually read a Hulk comic maybe about twenty minutes before we started this conversation. Maybe, so. Oh, also, wait, what era of Hulk? Wow, the the cross referencing here is it's uh it's the it's the Roy Thomas Herb Trimpey years. So so what you're saying is you're as likely at any point to want to hug a deer. As you are to go on a murderous rampage. You know, I, I have to say that I feel maybe. I, I, or was I'm not Len I, Wien the hugging deer? What's that? Was Len Wien the yes. one who always had him like hugging deer yes. and like landing up in mountains and being like, Hulk sees himself in a stream. Yes. Hulk is happy. Exactly. The whoever hit upon the idea of basically doing Hulk as Lenny from Of Mice and Men was really kind of a genius. And to be fair, I do not think that that was Roy Thomas because Thomas is, uh, at least in the issue that I just read. Well, so let me, let me get around to explaining why I read that issue and how, and how Roy Thomas comes into it. Uh, to return to speaking about myself, but in the first person this time, uh, I basically bought a bunch of comics digitally recently, including the Dr. Strange Epic collection that um, you will be happy slash mortified to know collects most of the Steve Englehart, Frank Bruner run, <laughs> which, which you got up here, which, yeah, which I purchased in front of your very face and then later went on to sell 
not in front of your very face, along with uh, just about I, I every do other like that. Yeah, things. Not in front of me, but in front of my very face. It, it brings to mind, and I was there, I know this didn't happen, that you, like, peel the comics off one by one and, like, really stick them in my face and be like, look what I'm buying! <laughs> and then, like, peel dollar bills off in front of my face. Look how much I'm paying for it! Well, I will I- say this, listeners. Uh, you may or may not remember, this is when Jeff got them for a fucking steal. Yes! I mean, how cheap was it? Jeff, you've disappeared. Stupid goddamn headset. Yes, I pushed the (laughs) fucking mute button with my stupid oversized crotch. I don't know. Uh, so. First of all, let's not go any further with that, but how much (laughs) did you pay for it? It, it, you know, it was one of those deals where at some point, my bad math skills and the bad math skills of the incredibly amiable dude behind the counter. I also, you kind of bamboozled him. I, I'm not even sure you did it intentionally, but you managed to convince him that they were all like really cheap comics, and I don't think they were meant to be cheap comics. Okay, I, 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 you make it sound like I'm way too much of a fancy Dan. Uh... Well, no, that, that's, that's what I mean when I say like I don't. I'm not sure you meant to do it. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. What happened? What happened was, uh, as you recall, Graham, you took us to the store. Cloud nine. Cloud nine, nine. Thank you. I was trying to remember Clinton the name of it. Streets in in Portland, in in sunny Portland, Oregon, and uh, part of that was sarcastic. You go inside Cloud Nine. Graham had brought me there, uh, whatnot, specifically because he'd found a very groovy dollar box with with a lot of amazing finds. Uh, I was less grooved by the box and started digging around in some other boxes where I was finding amazing shit, just amazing. Like I was salivating openly at some of the seventies DC comics that I was, I was pulling out of there, including, uh, the, the huge chunk of, um, post Starlin Captain Marvel's Englehart's run. So a lot of Englehart, I was grabbing a lot of seventies Marvel's Englehart that I hadn't run and they were all unpriced. And I, I was like, are these from the dollar box? And, you know, are these also the dollar box? And the, the guy's like, no, but you're buying a lot. And we'd been, he'd been talking with us very amiably about showing it, I think, at, um, do you remember which show it was? If it was the Frankenstein swap that you'd mentioned? Uh, no, else? no, it wasn't. It was, it was like a proper show show. Oh, I think it was SPX. I think he was talking yeah, about it. Yeah, it was. You're totally right. SPX. It was SPX. Yeah. So we chatted about that and some of the books there that he'd picked up. Uh, and, you know, he was very knowledgeable. He seemed very pleased that we were both amiable and knowledgeable. So he's like, oh, yeah, no, these aren't priced out yet. I don't think the owner of the store has gotten around to doing it, but it'll be fine. And so he and I did some talking slash haggling slash bad math. And I ended up walking out with an enormous pile of comics for – Roughly maybe a dollar fifty a piece, maybe, and I was a little bummed that they weren't hadn't been a dollar. But it, you pointed out you returned there like say a month later and had noticed that a lot of the same books had been priced at around eight bucks a pop or something. Yeah, so, yeah, I yeah. I remember going back because 
I, I, and I may be misremembering this part, but you hadn't finished the run? Yes, that's like, right. There was, like, there was a right. couple of gaps, something, and I remember going back and being like, oh, maybe they've got more issues. And they didn't have the issues you didn't have, mm-hmm. but they did have the issues, or uh, other versions of the issues you had bought. That's and they were all like seven, eight bucks. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, Jeff really fucking got away with a steal. Yes, exactly. But the funny part, at least for me, is... um listeners, the whole thing about me peeling the comics and placing them directly on Graham's face. And Graham looked about as mortified as if I had done that. Because it's not so much, <laughs> as he pointed out, I got a crazy steal, but I also did buy like 35 comics in a go. And Graham just looked a little queasy that someone could actually spend, I think, that much money in one go and and not fall over essentially. So I just, you you know me. I mean I I I have real problems spending money in myself. I know. You know. I know. Um and so I really was like, Jeff, I can't believe you just bought like I know. You really were. You were kind of <laughs> I mean, a little that's like a, that's a big pile. <laughs> what, the, the other thing that in the middle of this you may not remember is our respective spouses came in to check if we were done and we weren't and they pretty much were like, Well fuck you guys, give us cash, we're going to another store. <laughs> Ah, yes, indeed. Good times. Good times, my friend. <laughs> okay, but wait. So, Get back to the Roy Thomas, like, you bought the Doctor Strange epic collection. So the uh, Doctor digitally. Strange epic collection digitally, uh, which is volume three and comprises uh, the Englehart Bruner run, um, and I believe also the Englehart colon stuff, unfortunately, it also it has the issues before that, so... I just got through reading Doctor Strange issues 130 through what sorry 180 through 183 by Roy Thomas, Gene Cullen and Tom Palmer uh as well as Submariner 22 and Hulk the Incredible Hulk 126 which lead up into to the defense Exactly, right? the first issue of The Defenders. So That's wacky. I've read those issues recently as well. Really? Because wow. they were on Marvel Unlimited and because they were leading up to The Defenders mm-hmm. and because I was in a Defenders mood. Oh. So this is, this is like Doctor Strange when he's got the mask on, right? Yes. Yes. This is the semi-superhero I, I, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but I found – it, it part of it might have been that um, I had the uh, regrettable experience of reading the issues leading up to the Undying Ones uh, um, uh, crossover that creates the Defenders. Uh, but I found that that crossover where you've got Doctor Strange and Submariner and the Incredible Hulk, it's and also the beginning of the stealth origin of the Valkyrie, as I recall, to be unbelievably dull. I mean, it's just painful. Oh, they're they're not good comics. They really I mean, aren't. They're, they're, and the 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 Doctor Strange issues are are really bad. Like, are bad in the way that you read them now, divorced from I guess like the rest of the Doctor Strange run, but also the other Marvel comics that are going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And they feel impressively low-powered. They really are. I mean, part of it is a... 
I, I, I want to be, I'm trying to be as generous as possible for, to Roy Thomas, because I think that it's one of the situations in which the Marvel method fails, um, in a really different way, Gene Colan's art is is really interesting leading up to, you know, even 183 in that he's really, I think, trying to figure out a way to resolve the challenge left that just about any person stepping in on Doctor Strange has to take up the gauntlet of, which is how the fuck do you follow Steve Ditko on this book? And the way that I feel that uh, Colin tries to approach it, which is genuinely uh, interesting to me, is that he has he's attacking each page as its own unit. And so, like, in the Doctor Strange issues, like 180 through 182, where it's, it's amazing that the plot of the book is supposed to be that Nightmare has managed to shackle eternity and is using eternity's powers of control over time to basically fuck up Earth and start dragging in creatures from the past and the future. And Doctor Strange is like, no, this is the worst, most terrifying challenge to ever face the Earth since yada yada McNackety yackety. And is like I have to go and free eternity and but in order to do so I've got to meet Nightmare on his own terms in the Nightmare realm where he holds sway but I have a secret ability to turn he basically summons the juggernaut out of into from the dimension that the juggernaut has been trapped in to like help him recruit him in the fight against Nightmare and the night uh you know Nightmare and Juggernaut of course Juggernaut's kind of an unreliable character Juggernaut turns on Doctor Strange and blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the most, the only part that's interesting and truly also completely horrifying is, is that Tom Wolf pops up for one page in the, yes. and that is by all means like the, oh, the cameo. It's, but, but also like that's not the only Tom Wolf cameo from around that era. Yes. He also shows up in Incredible Hulk issue. Right, right, exactly. And I, I had always been curious about his cameos. I'm really not, uh, at all anymore because this one has like Doc Strange after having this horrible nightmare in which, in which nightmares like, ha ha ha, I'm going to, I've shackled eternity and I'm going to fuck up your planet, but you're, I'm, but, you know, but I'm not going to tell you how. And Doctor Strange is like, oh, damn it, it's a horrible nightmare. I'm going to have to take Klee out because it's like New Year's Eve. Again, it's like Colin's pacing is glacial and Roy Thomas, in order to try and cover it, cranks his hyperbole up to 13. And so the results are ludicrous. I mean, it's a it's a comic book speedball that really would have killed anyone anyone short of John Belushi. You know, in terms of mm-hmm. like the fact that I didn't end up dead on a hotel bed uh, in Los Angeles after reading these issues is really remarkable. Anyway, so they're out there waiting for the the um, New Year's Eve at the Allied Chemical Tower, and all of a sudden, Tom Wolf. Sh- pops up and goes, what's the matter, Doc? Haven't got a friend, second for old friends and journalists? Don't worry, I won't ask for any free aspirin. And Doctor Strange slash Roy Thomas says, Tom, Tom Wolf, 
Haven't seen you since you were just a candy-colored, tangerine-flake, streamlined baby. And I'm really glad that I was reading this on my iPad because (laughs) it's too expensive to break over one's head. But that's all (laughs) I wanted to do. You're lucky that you weren't reading the actual physical copy because it might just have burst into flames. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I would have set it on fire. I real, and I would have happily done it. Cause I would have been like, man, this doesn't deserve to live. So it, 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 oh. Anyway, it goes on just excruciating high, low, like there's a, I can't even tell you how many pages in these issues are devoted to Dr. Strange getting a telegram and the way in which Gene Colan is like, ah, you know, here's a telegram. Wong goes to the door. Here's the guy. Wong signs for it. The guy's like, thanks. He starts to walk away. Ooh, I've got a creepy feeling about that place. Then Wong's <laughs> like, oh, this telegram. I should deliver this into the master. Oh, wait, no, he's got something on. I'll put it here. Like, Colin drags all that out at incredible length. And then Roy Thomas is like, you know, ah. Wong's like, verily, my bowels have never felt so turgid as they do as the touch of this telegram. But here's the thing about Colin. Like, that art probably looks beautiful. Well, his pacing is the worst. You know, it's the thing. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, this is one of the things that's really weird about Colin and particularly Colin inked by Palmer. Some of it really does look gorgeous. And again, because he's really attacking it as the unit as a page, it's these jagged panels, sometimes only three or four panels to the page. He's sort of also trying to figure out, figure, trying to come up with his own solution to how do I crank out work at almost Kirby-like speed, which Kirby himself was trying to figure out. And so, like, for example, the New Year's Eve sequence, which drags on absurdly, has a great payoff in that just as it's as the giant clock in Times Square is about to re- chime midnight, a pterodactyl swoops in and crashes into the clock tower and dies. And it's it's kind of it's it's sort of beautiful. I mean, it really is a great little moment in terms of being um, like a creepy, weird, what the fuck foreboding thing. But then, of course, dinosaurs are popping up. And again, this is the sort of what happens is Doctor Strange says his name aloud and all the people in the crowd are like, Doctor Strange, is he responsible for this? Oh, boy, I'm going to remember that name. Oh, why, I'm going to write a letter about that Doctor Strange. So Doctor Strange has basically compromised his own identity by basically being written by Roy Thomas and therefore unable to prevent himself from blurting his own name aloud and then being like, oh, shit. Afterwards, he's like, fuck, I called myself Dr. Strange. When it, what, how, this is really going to be bad what a for loser. me. What a loser. <laughs> that would have been great. That, that, if I, there was just a Dr. Strange who's like, idiot, 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 and you're just hitting himself <laughs> in the head. No, I no, no. Suck. I'm not the Sorcerer Supreme. Jeez. Ah, that would it, be great. doing. Oh, man, the Saucer Supreme, but he has infinitely low self-esteem. See, there's actually a better hope for the series. <laughs> almost rhymes. <laughs> What's that? I, almost rhymes. It feels like it should be like the start of something. <laughs> the Saucer Supreme with low self-esteem. It's Dr. Strange. <laughs> Dr. Strange. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, so it 
It's so then we get to I I mean here you again the 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 distance between comics the conception and their execution is something that I'm learning a lot about. Uh, I feel this year for whatever reason because I've been reading so much older stuff with like um, I don't know like some of the last scales of nostalgia sort of falling away, um, but. I mean, here you have Thomas, he's specifically shouting out to Lovecraft with the Undying Ones. He's bringing the Lovecraft mythos into the Marvel Universe. The basic gist of it is the idea that, um, you know, Strange, uh, through a, a Lovecraftian narrator type, who's an old friend of his, like, summons him to this mansion and then is like, oh, I'm in some trouble, I'm dying. And, of course, his, like, friends, his buddies and butlers are kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's nothing can be done. Don't pay any attention to it. Here, we're going to put you in a room overnight because it's too late for you to go home, even though we're just in fucking New York. And here, we've locked you in your room. Muhaha. It's like this weird, low-key gothic stuff that, of course, Thomas is like, well, I've got to do the appropriate Lovecraftian stuff, but then I'm going to bring in superhero hijinks because then Dr. Strange is the perfect foe to fight these um, minions of the undying ones, except it's, I mean, it's just terrible. Well then, and on top of it, again, you've got this, like, then he has to, at one point, because Strange is, it's not really very clear, at least in my very hurried reading as to why he needs Namor, the Submariner to come and grab a piece out from this underneath the, the graveyard of this, right near this same mansion. But after Dr. Strange like defeats the minions of the undying ones. And one of the things that's great is they always are. They're like, we are the undying ones. We serve the undying ones. And they always end up dying. Like they literally end up dying in every issue. And they're like, Oh, I die, but the undying ones will come for you. I'm like, you are a really bad advertisement for these guys. Like you would think, Hey, but, but they're not being look. they're like the undying ones will come and get you because we keep dying. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm just sort of like, big deal. Like, you know, there's kind of that thing of like, like, I don't know, you know, if you're the undying ones, you would think that the fact that your minions are so prone to death really just doesn't help with your reputation much. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's just, maybe that's just me. But anyway, so, you know, as you know, Graham, the undying ones, the Lovecraftian universe is filled with these nightmarish visions of things that cannot be seen or glimpsed without uh, toppling off of the precipice of sanity, right? And in the comic, when they show up, they really look like as if Gene Colan was like, um, yeah, precipice of sanity... Oh, fuck it. I'm just going to draw this little cat figurine that I found in like a store. Like, it's really the most underwhelming. Honestly, the Undying Ones could have looked like demonic Sanrio characters and actually been more terrifying. That I mean, it's so, they're just so incredibly bland. So, mm -hmm. and again, Thomas's writing is just terrible. Like, it's three issues. It's Doctor Strange, Submariner, uh, with art by, I mean, Marie Severin being inked by Johnny Craig. And then I, <laughs> that's like, that's the team that everyone remembers. You know, it's, it's true. It's a weird team, but it's parts of it are kind of lovely. I mean, parts of well, it are Severin, kind of off. Marie Severin was amazing. Yeah. She really I can't, was. I, you know, Johnny Craig is, I, I mean, Marie Severin not inked by Marie Severin is a problem for me to be honest, but 
you know, Marie Severin's great. Yeah, Severin's great. It is it is interesting because Craig is uh, – it's funny because it's kind of like he's not cleaning up the stuff that you would think would, they'd need cleaning up on. But it it's kind of a surprisingly – like the mix is a little more Wally Wood-esque than you would expect, especially considering um, how much – Sort of the feathery pen stroke that 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 Marie Severin's really able to put in there, and then you've got Herb Trimpey being like, Herb Trimpey is all fuck in that Incredible Hulk issue, and again, which is the coming of the Nightcrawler, and like it's it's just a great Trimpey, you know, like here I am ripping off Kirby but doing my own thing too, design exactly. for the ripping Nightcrawler. Ripping off Kirby esque yeah yeah kirby-esque like just kirby in a that's really trimpy in a very satisfying way kind of and but that story too since you've read it recently you kind of know like is a complete limp fart because you have the incredible hulk you've got dr strange you've got the undying ones and the hulk is more or less set up as a pawn of the of the undying ones they throw him into a mystic dimension because they're currently being cock-blocked by Doctor Strange from getting in through their normal route. So they want to go in through this side dimension that is the the, um, domain of the Nightcrawler. And they're like, well, we'll send the Hulk in, and if he wins, Earth dies, you know, because we can now get into the dimension and invade Earth through, you know, the Nightcrawler's domain. Or if the Hulk loses, well, he dies and we'll be frustrated. But we got nothing to lose in this whole situation. Exactly, yeah. If the Hulk dies, then ultimately that's good for us because it's the Hulk. Yeah, Like, he's not really our guy. Yeah. So you get a situation where you've got a Hulk comic where the Hulk is sort of being used for, you know, it's supposed to be a super tense situation, a lose-lose situation. And yet what ends up happening out of the result of this three-issue sort of semi-crossover is is that the the Undying Ones actually end up defeated by a pissed-off Nightcrawler after things happen, essentially. And so it's... It's really profoundly boring. It's really boring, bad comics. And you know what I read right before it, Graham? I mean, we can return to how boring this is. But I have to say, (laughs) before that, I was like, you know what? I've really got to get through the rest of these, like, Chris Claremont Miss Marvel issues since I bought those, like, picked up those two digital Marvel masks. You are masochistic as shit. I just, I, I was like, how bad can they be? I read some good comics earlier in the day slash week, and I got all, like... Oh yeah, like this is gonna, I'm gonna be fine. Like I can tackle anything. I need to read some more of this and also polish it off and get it out of the way. And oh my Jesus, like I, I read the, the three issues that Claremont and Cockrum did, or maybe four, issue 20 through 23. And then of course it gets canceled, but they still have issues 24 and 25 done that get reprinted in the 90s as part of like, Marvel's failed comic cavalcade or something like that, which I haven't read those issues, which is interesting because it's like Ms. Marvel meets Sabretooth, which I'm just like, oh, man, the, <laughs> you know, that's a comic that actually I, it's always ironic to me that Iron Fist uh, 14 is like this hugely monumentally collectible item because it's the first appearance of Sabretooth. And yet. I'm assuming that I don't know which appearance of Sabretooth Ms. Marvel 24 would have been, but let's face it, after it got canceled, it was not worth shit. So, um, so yeah, I just, I suffered through Chris Claremont being 
Claremonty at his worst and Dave Cockrum doing stuff where I'm like, ah, mm, why don't I, oh, why don't I like this? Why is this just so bad? Why does this have to keep being more terrible? Like these are two guys who in theory are <laughs> committed to what they're doing. You hear that story about how they, you know, we're going to be swapped out of the book and they're like, no, we want to stay on it because we're into it. And then, oh, it's, oh, God, Graham. I'm telling you. I'm telling well, you. What's also funny is that it's it's Claremont and Cockrum. You yes. know, you're like, they, they did fucking uh, all new and all different X-Men. Yes. They, they, did, yeah. they did, like, great stuff. Not just good stuff. But great working stuff. Working together. Yeah. They did great stuff. Yeah. So you, the idea that they then do a book, because Ms. Marvel is after that stuff, right? Yes. I'm not yeah, yeah, remembering. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, no, no, the no, idea no. That, that they then go on yeah. through something that is a misfire. And I've only read, like, an issue mm-hmm. if if yeah i think only an issue because i'm gonna say i've not read that much of claremont's miss marvel but um but it's just you're right it's like the worst parts of claremont and the worst parts of Cockrum. yeah yeah it's it is it's just and again it has a little bit of that thing that i'm finding with some of my 70s comics rereads of Oh, there's an idea here there that we're going to get to. Oh no, wait! Now it's time for a, a direct, you know, a direction change. Like Carol Danvers finally gets fired f- by J. Jonah Jameson from Woman Magazine, the magazine that she ends up starting all the way back in issue one. Like, you know, two years, maybe more, if it's a bi-monthly book, you know. But it's years earlier and really early on. Like she's like, oh, I don't know how long I'm going to keep this job. And Claremont does the worst job moving the subplot forward because there's even the person that she hires who's like, I'm going to have to take over this office from her. And Carol's a great person, but I can do this job better. But this makes me a terrible person, doesn't it? Oh, well, here comes my idiomatic expression, idiomatic expression while I'm drinking some coffee or something. You know, it's like, ugh. So when she finally gets canned, it's... It's so underwhelming and it, it, but it's constant. It's Claremont trying to like do that Claremonty thing where he's like, even though I love this job and sweated blood and built it up with my own hands and fingertips, I'm somehow strangely relieved. I'm like, dude, I read these last 21 issues. You did shit. You did not. You were in the, you, we could put together every single panel that you were in the, in the office working on the magazine over 23 issues and it would barely add up to like seven pages. Maybe it's ridiculous how little you worked on this Carol. But of course, you know, Claremont's like, Oh, the ode. Ah, I knew this day would come. And yet it is if I lost a child that I never knew that I had until now, you know, Oh God, Graham, bad comics. Please save me from (laughs) bad comics. Okay, I, I want to spin off of what you just said, though, about the Ms. Marvel issues that were cancelled and completed. You saw the Commandy books that came out this week, right? Oh, shit. Uh, no, I did not. Did that hit the stands? Uh, not Commandy Challenge. That's next week. Yes. But they did a reprint of, shit, Commandy 29 or something. Right. Uh, but it's got the two issues after the book was cancelled. Fuck, I knew that was coming out. And in fact, I might have it in the in the little pull box, but no, I did not realize that was out. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's out this week. Yeah, wow, God. it's like, it's like a, I, 
I think it's advertised as 80 pages, and I strangely think it's over 80 pages. Definitely digitally, it's like over 90 pages. Wow. Well, and it's, it's interesting because, yeah, it's, they, they, they pretty much call it the Commandy Challenge Issue 1, um, which reprints Commandy 32 from 1975, The Origin, The Great Map. It's, yeah, it's 91 pages for eight bucks. Christ on a crutch. Well, find right. it now. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, okay, but also, so spinning off of that, you're like, yes. save me from bad comics. I've been reading old comics this week, and I've been fucking loving them. Damn you. Loving them. Damn they your eyes. Uh, uh, but, I mean, they're ones I knew I loved. Yeah, that's uh, true. I have I, been reaching out. You know I was, I was rereading Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that has continues to just be just wonderful. And again, Cockrum, but good Cockrum. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. pre X Men Cockrum, and he's just he's great. Like yeah. he's he's just having so much fun, and 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 you know, changing costumes for no reason whatsoever. And you're like, this looks nuts. Good mm-hmm. on you, Dave Cockrum. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Besides that, though, I I worked through my random collection of 1980s and late 70s DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Showcase Issue 100, which I did pages from that on the Tumblr, mm-hmm. uh, is the Paul Levitz, Paul Kupperberg written, Joe Staten. Yeah. Team up of every character who has been in a showcase up until that point. We've talked about that issue and how much we both love it. So, yeah, it, that's it's great. so great. Uh, World's Finest 300 mm. is uh, Dave Kraft. And is he the only one writing? Let's see. Dave Kraft and Mike Barr writing. Yeah, that's right. It's a, team up, it's a team up of Batman Superman, The Outsiders, The Justice League, with an absolutely random four-page sequence of New Teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez in the middle. Oh, that's right. I do. I think I read that one recently because I I bought a bunch of those World Finest and was reading them. Uh, and those are interesting things. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're wacky. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle Special from 1987, Ooh. which is. Mark Evaner and Steve Rude. That's right. Steve Rude doing some beautiful art on that. Jesus. Steve Rude inked, inked by Mike Royer. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. So, yeah, it's it's beautiful and it's flawless. And that's the one where I think Mark Evanier really does not spare, like, isn't that the one where Glorious Godfrey, or no, uh, Funky Flashman is Stan Lee is all fuck, like, even more so than yeah, his previous Yeah, Stan Lee is all fuck. And also, like, he, he literally, I mean... Utterly sells out, yeah. um, Scott, to Dark Side. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not even vaguely uh, ambivalent. It's like, sure, that's exactly what he's doing. Um, and and I've, I think I've talked about this in the podcast before. Batman and the Outsiders Annual 1 from 84, mm-hmm. which is um, the Outsiders versus the Force of July, who are <laughs> right-wing superheroes who talk about how the media is contro- the left-wing media is controlling America and how they're going to fight back. Holy shit. That's right. Yes. Oh yes. my god. Uh, and of course that makes it, you know, perfect for right now. Mm-hmm. Uh the cover of that comic says it's nineteen eighty four. Do you know where your freedoms are? <laughs> because that's what comics said in the eighties. But it really does feel like weirdly scarily prescient for now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also made me think someone's gotta fucking bring back the force of July. Yeah. They 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 are primed for a comeback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally true. Never a better time than now. But yeah, oh yeah, and also the um, the Justice League arc just before Detroit, and then the first Detroit arc. Oh wow! Well, I actually have read some comics that I really do like that I will get around to talking to later. I don't want you to totally cry for me, but that's 
That's really interesting. That I feel like most of the time it's like me being Mr. Like, oh, I read these old comics. And you're like, yes, I read four Omnibuy from the library, but I also got all these new comics by DC. Oh, I, I, no, I, well, I also read like a bunch of, of other stuff. Like I, I read Colin Bunn's entire Aquaman run, wow. which was – which was not a good idea. I say entire. It's only like seven issues. He's not uh-huh. in the book for her. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's it's not good. Mm. It, and it really... Have you read much Colin Bunn? I want to say I haven't. Like, I feel like he He's pops up a lot on Marvel titles. What's that? Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. He's the weirdest writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... When he's good, he's really good. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the ratio of good to he must have said this because he needed the money mm-hmm. is is shocking. Mm-hmm. And Aquaman is definitely an example of it probably seemed like a good idea at the time, but he never had a handle on the title. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because like, you know, at the same time as he's doing that, he's doing Sinestro for DC, which was surprisingly strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing Six Gun for Oni. Which is, was just great all the way through. Right. Um, I want to say he was doing a Marvel book at the same time. He's a, he's one of these writers like Jeff Lemire, mm-hmm. who seems to be doing like always seems to be doing at least like five comics. Yeah. Right. And, exactly. And the comics and the comics go from just like not good, mm-hmm. <laughs> not good at all, to ones where you're like, this guy's clearly got talent. How is he also doing these terrible hack comics? Well, and the answer is probably that he's writing five or six comics a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is really, at this point, my take on, on Lemire. Because I think Lemire can do really good work, and very often just is not. Mm. You know? Uh, and, and actually, the same is true of Bun. Bun is also doing... Um, Uncanny X Men. Mm-hmm. He's doing an X Men right now. The one, the the you know the bad guy X Men, which has for some reason been a thing with the <laughs> franchise for years now. Like you have like seventy two teams of X Men. One of them always has to be like the morally ambiguous bad ones doing the bad stuff that no one else wants to do because it's bad, but it's necessary, but it's bad. Um, <laughs> I think I think the current one is Uncanny X Men, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's just not a good comic, mm-hmm. you know. And it's and it's not that it's a shitty comic. Mm-hmm. It's that it's just not good. Like it has no strong direction, and it has no sense of momentum, and the characterization is there barely. Like right. characterization means uh, relies really strongly on the fact that the fans have read these characters for years and can fill in a lot of the blanks. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the writer doesn't really have to do a lot of work; mm-hmm. they just have to nod at other comics. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's – yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I, I went through like a Marvel Unlimited thing recently where I was like, I'm going to catch up with the X-Men books. Mm. And at the same time as Bond's doing that, Lemire's doing Extraordinary X-Men, mm-hmm. which I think is very similar. Mm-hmm. That it's like – it's not actually it, – I mean it's not a good comic, but it's also a comic where – it feels like it will work better ha- if you have read X-Men comics forever as to, you know, I'm coming back to the franchise and I've not really been paying that much attention. And then you'd be like, do these guys have character? <laughs> I know. It's it's one of the things that I, I'm always fascinated by how little I really care about coming back to the X-Men. And I don't know if that's just because when I jumped off, it was precisely the time they became so 
super huge that a lot of times when people are kind of like, ah, we're bringing the X-Men back to their roots, they're kind of like, you know, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee's X-Men number one or whatever, you know? And it's never my, or even, even stuff where like by, even by the time of stuff that I know that you hold kind of dear to your heart, like the mutant massacre or whatever, I'm sort of have been tuning out, you know? And, but I'm fascinated because they were such a, the, um, again, having that experience of having sold my comics and getting them all ready and having the guy go through all of them, the, the amount of genuine love that I had for the issues of X-Men that I read is, I mean, it's, it's all but palpable, you know, it's all but a, <clears throat> an actual another entity in the room that, that I can touch. And yet whenever I think about like, cause again, with Marvel Unlimited, you really can sit down and catch up on a bunch of that stuff. And I'm just sort of like, I don't care kind of, I mean, it, I don't, I, I mean, there's no kind of about it, but it just in that weird, like even something where I find myself tempted, like to sit down and read like the Bendis X-Men stuff because I had read the first issue or two issues or whatever. And I was kind of like, Oh, it's not bad. You know, I and also, I, especially yeah. when it started, it was not a retread of ever, like the same story for the last 10 years. Right. Exactly. It really seemed like something different. Bendis's stuff. Somehow the chattiness seemed to be kind of a, you know, the X-Men had always been kind of a chatty book under Claremont. I'm like, oh, I could see myself doing this and getting into this and reading it. And a lot of people sent me the issues digitally and were like, I've been loving this. And I'm like, yeah, I stocked it all, stockpiled it. And then I was just like, I don't know. I just kind of can't. And it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a shame because part of me feels like the franchise is so, is in theory, it's so strong. You know, it's got, there's like 9 million ways to, it's got 30 million characters and 9 million different ways to approach it. Like in theory, you could do like a X-Men for people, like an introduction to the franchise book. You know what I mean? And then like the people who, who love their deep cut nerd continuity stuff, you know, and somehow it just always ends up playing like. I, I, I don't know, like uh, something that, that gets where you just put too much crap in it, that it just becomes an if undifferentiated mash. You know well, what I okay, mean? Okay. Yeah. Can you, can you do, are there multiple approaches to the X-Men anymore? Because part of me feels, and this will not happen mm -hmm. for many reasons, but part of me feels that X-Men is kind of at the same stage that Fantastic Four was at, which is, it needs to go away. That, yeah, just, it, right. that it kind of has just been run into the ground at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly I, as someone who has not been following the book, I'm completely the last person to be able to speak to that. But, you know, I think a good example is there was at least a stage where you had uh, Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, which you you loved. I, I loved, yeah. Which, which definitely had, uh, we're focusing on the school, we're focusing on the students, and we're also kind of focusing on kind of the lighter, goofier stuff. And a lot of people really responded to that. In the meanwhile, you had Bendis doing like two different stripes of X-Men in terms of grim, gritty, you know, Cyclops is basically a terrorist now X-Men, and 
time traveling, more innocent X-Men trying to deal with the ramifications of the future world, right? As you point out, there's always the um, X-Men who need to do the gritty jobs that need to get done sort of slash X-Force team. That's, that's another approach. You know, there's usually one approach that's always dipping its toe, and I'm never sure how successfully, into the, here's the X-Men with the connections to the Cosmic Empire, you know, connection, you know. And and sometimes I think that, I think part of the problem maybe might be uh, that back in the day, you only had kind of two, or as it started growing, three different directions, but... You know, there was actually a good long haul of Claremont doing just X-Men. And as you know from Sean Howe's, like, Marvel book, or you probably knew it beforehand, I didn't. You know, New Mutants was launched basically with Marvel saying, like, the X-Men are so successful, we're going to do another title. And Claremont being like, okay, if you're going to do that, I'm going to handle it because I don't want yeah. this. Yeah, this is mine. Yeah, this is mine. And I think in a way it sort of served them well. Like the X-Men, when it's just the X-Men, there's a lot of, part of the energy really does come from that sort of restless nature of Claremont and his collaborators. You know, the fact that he and Cockrum were so gung-ho to do space opera, you know, and then so gung-ho to do like, oh, we're going to do a Savage Land issue. And then you bring in Burn, and Burn's like, I want to do my... You know, I want to do my killer Magneto story. I want to bring in superpowered Canadians. I want to, you know, every the the Hellfire Club subplot, which gets built and really pays off extraordinarily well. Like there's just there's almost more stuff to do than they have the space to do it. And it just gives it kind of makes the, the book really propulsive for a, a surprisingly long period of time. And Again, when you get the new mutants and even when you start getting in, you know, just where things should start to flag, you get guys like Lee Field and Lee in who, whatever their other faults, bring a tremendous amount of energy to stuff so that it really does seem like there's, you know, like just when you thought things were going to top out, you know, it really kicks into yet another gear. But but then, you know, yeah, you flash forward, God help us all, like you know, what, 20 years and, and innumerable titles. So I, I think I see your point. I think the X-Men could go, could go away and it might be good. Sometimes I just think that it might be better if it just got throttled back to just, you know, despite what I was just saying like 10 minutes ago, I'm like, yeah, maybe it'd be better if it was just one title, you know, where it has that, it finally has more space than it, or sorry, not enough space to actually tell all the stories that it wants to tell. Well, well part of my, and this I think is is definitely nostalgia and being mm -hmm. old. But part of the problem with the X Men franchise for me these days is the fact that all of the comics are X Men. Mm. That they are inter literally an interchangeable team. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I was reading X Men, mm -hmm. it was X Men, New Mutants, and X Factor. Right, and they had like. They were they were different entities. They had well. See, this is it. That's why I was like and, different and entities, different... but mission statements. So yes, speak, exactly. Right. I, I, but also, X Factor New Mutants mission statement was very strict, mm -hmm. and X Men's 
was essentially everything else. Yeah, right. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I, but the fact that all of these teams are now the X-Men. Right. And the fact that it's, there is this amorphous, you know, anyone could be a member of any team. Yeah, right. For you know, any Silo reason. Can be, mm-hmm. can be in X-Force or can be in, you know, in Uncanny X-Men or could be in all new X-Men mm-hmm. or could be in, you know, just the X-Men title. Yeah. Storm can be in Extraordinary X-Men and X-Men and, and it's just, there's nothing, it, they, oh, they feel, uh, not just disconnected, but they feel utterly random. Yeah. It feels like there's no organic nature to any of these comics at all. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I think that, that, and that seems to be a problem that I feel like the Marvel franchise, Marvel has problems with more of its books than not, I think. And, but I think especially X-Men have had that problem for a while. Cause even when people were going to great lengths, editorial and, and the creators, you know, you had Gillen and Fraction and the, the, the books were, I think this was even before Alonzo got promoted. So he was technically overseeing all the books, but he had his assistant editors driving it. Like there was kind of this feeling of like, okay, like the whole, like, Cyclops becoming, you know, an inversion of himself was kind of a tedious path, but there was kind of this idea of like, oh, this is a path and we're really going to play it out. Um, you know, somehow it's, it's, you know, but there's nothing organic about it, you know? And I think, I think sometimes I worry that that's problem, a problem with Marvel. Some of the, the fact that the books are so editorially driven, like you can have someone like a Lemire come into X-Men, but he's really just sort of serving the brand, you know? Uh, and I don't well, think... Well, that, that's just it. And so you get the the, the relaunch now, mm-hmm. which is coming up. And with the best will in the world to the people handling it, the fact that it's... Was it Mark Guggenheim and Ardian Sayaf and mm-hmm. uh, who is the other team? Dennis isn't, isn't oh, is it Hopeless or is it Bun? I could have sworn Bun was doing one of the. the is it uh, maybe not. X-Men. Who's doing X Men Blue? Is it, I thought other? that was Bun, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is. I it, no, you're totally right. It is Bun because Hopeless mm-hmm. is doing the Jean Grey title. Right. Right. Wow. Um, and who's who is drawing that comic? Uh, X-Men Gold is Mark Guggenheim and Ardian Saif, and X-Men Blue is Colin Bunn and George Molina. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not just that it's not a superstar team, but it's – at least my response when I when th- it was announced was kind of like, okay, sure, because it doesn't matter who writes and draws an X-Men comic anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there's, well, I, it feels like there's something to that. I don't know. I mean, for me, I, again, having dipped my toe out of it, there is a good, for me, well, hypothetically, what would be your, your team, I guess? Like, you know, like, I'm you sure. Mean creative team or team of characters? Uh, well, let's break it down into two different things. What is your version? What would be to this year's version? Of the Grant Morrison Frank Quitely announcement for you, like you couldn't have Morrison and Quitely. You have to have oh, you know shit. a team. Uh, you know, 
Uh, so what are you grading this on? I just mean like in just the... a book I'd want to read, or a book that would have the same like cachet, the same like oh shit, I can't believe they got they got them. Well, I I think yeah, I'm I'm assuming that there's that level of like a level of excitement. Okay, like it a... would be Tom King writing, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And art wise, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Art wise, I genuinely don't. Interesting. I, I uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can't, can't think of an artist. Hmm. What about you? Uh, you know, it's so funny because I just had that like, God, where would I go to? You know, and I kind of had a little bit of that. Oh yeah, I would totally go with Tom King as well. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, I, I part of me is like, you know, because I'm, I'm sort of. You, you know, I just feel so barely connected. Like, part of me is like, you know, my default answer to anything is like, oh, yeah, just give Tom, give it to Tom Scioli, you know. He can ha- have a blank oh, yeah, check sure, to do whatever sure, he wants. Sure, but at the same you time, know, like, that's not, that's you not know, realistic. I, I would read yeah. that, but it's not, yes. that's like going, give it to Dan Close. Right. No, exactly. No? Yeah, I get that. Sure. And that is kind of my thing of like, I don't, I don't really, I feel so out of tune with that. Like, let's say that um, I would love to have, like, Doug Monke draw a X-Men title, like, the X-Men title, because I think his stuff would be really fun, like, really just great. But yeah. it, assuming that you don't have Tom King writing it, because I think because King was the first place I went to as well, I'm trying to think who else I have that gets me kind of that excited about comics that I'm reading, you know? And it's it's kind of hard for me because it's like a lot of the stuff that I'm reading, as you know, I'm reading a lot of like, oh, good enough stuff. Like, yeah. I love Ryan North's um, Squirrel Girl, but I'm not sure I necessarily would want to read him on X-Men. Like, it, No, exactly true. Like, I can think of lots of other writers and artists who stuff I like, but in terms of yeah, re- wanting to read the X-Men, but also having the, that level of of fan excitement. Yeah. Like, well, first of all, I don't think there's that many creators out there that can actually do that anymore. You, uh, true. I mean, certainly for me, like as, as we get older, although I sort of feel like that seems to be reflected in the marketplace. Like I yeah. feel like Marvel. I, I can't, to... I can't think of that many superstar writers anymore. I, I, well, or ones that have, well, okay, well, let's do this. I think, eh, and I say, I say this with reservations, but maybe, if you had like Brian K. Vaughn and Doug Monke doing an X-Men book, I think that would have a level of like, oh, whoa, what the fuck? And part of me is like, oh, that would be great. Except part of me is like, mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Vaughn would be right for X-Men, weirdly enough. But that would be that level. That's, that's because you read his unca- his ultimate X-Men back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, he's changed. I feel like he's changed a little bit. I don't think his, his approach would Oh, yeah. Be, no, no. He's, yeah, he, he's not the same writer. You know what I mean? And so part of me is like, oh, that might be interesting. But I don't think it would be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Pants wedding. Amazing. You know? Like, so I don't, I don't really know. As you point out, there's the... I'll, I feel like Marvel went to great lengths to build up a lot of dudes, you know, like Gillen and Fraction. Um, and Hickman. And Hickman and Remender and a, basically a whole generation of guys who, who went and went to Image, you know. And yeah. 
And I don't know if that's made Marvel more reluctant to to build people up reputation-wise or... You know, again, there's just that idea of like the people who are, who get, who quote unquote break in at Marvel seem to have like more than enough work. And, and to the point where it's kind of scary. Again, Lemire's one of those dudes who he's like, he's doing two titles for Marvel. He's doing at least two titles for Valiant. He's doing the Scott Snyder after death book that he's drawing. And there's, I think there's like one or two other titles that we're forgetting in there, you know? And so maybe that, like you said, there's kind of that thing of like, they're not that great, but I also just kind of feel like Marvel is really gun shy about promoting its talent. Or is that just me not reading? No, no, I, I, I think, I think there's definitely an element of that. Uh, I think Marvel, I think it's not just, we promoted these guys, then they went over to Image, and we're, we're gun shy about that. Mm-hmm. I think it's also Marvel would tend would rather promote the runs, the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll promote the talent if it's getting critical acclaim. But that's really an inapposite to what they were doing a few years ago. Oh, with sure, their... yeah. Remember, Young Guns, exactly, which they did two or three iterations of, you know, for artists and writers, and they made it seem like they were doing that. Every year, and now it's very much like, I don't know, they're just, yeah, so like you said, they seem to be, again, there's a little bit of a, um, Marvel seems much more locked into corporate comics, I suppose. Like, I I feel like Marvel has been and goes through periods of being like that or not, but in terms of how they're currently promoting their stuff... Uh, it's 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 very strange how they're currently doing. Uh, let okay, let's pivot off that for a second. Mm-hmm. You may or may not have seen that Marvel's doing a third Black Panther comic. I did see that. That the I for whatever reason someone linked to that piece on the crew, and I read it. And um, yeah, I think Ta- Ta-Nehisi Coates might be an exception to this, but of course, Coates he's comes- Ta-Nehisi Coates exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, he he came with. You know, I'm Carthur Genius Grant. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know I mean, like he's, yeah. like, he's. It's fascinating to me to watch what Marvel is doing around that, mm-hmm. because I honestly think that Coates is using his name in a way that no other creator has done at Marvel, but also could do at Marvel. Oh yeah, by pushing for. Not only more books, but also new talent. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Yona Harvey is co-writing this book. Yeah. Uh, the fact that Butch Case is drawing it, to be honest, mm-hmm. is is feels very un-contemporary Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, I mean, the fact that we're getting three titles out of Black Panther feels very contemporary Marvel. Yeah, I was about to <laughs> well, say that feels yeah, contemporary. But, also, Guise is sort of he's. He's been in the, he was doing that. He, yeah, he Winter comes Soldier. in and out. Exactly. So, I mean, like, that Winter Soldier stuff, if it had sold, it was kind of amazing. And again, maybe that's one of those things where Brubaker went in and really, you know, pitched or fought for, for doing the book with him. But, I mean, not only was the work pretty amazing to look at, but, I mean, maybe if it sold. But yeah, no, I, I agree that, that having him in there is, I think Coates has, 
a level of influence. And, you know, it's so funny to, to pivot just a little bit. I was at Trader Joe's today shopping with my wife and uh, I was wearing my Black Panther shirt and the Trader Joe's checkout person high-fived me <laughs> and then went on to talk <laughs> about how excited she was about the Black Panther stuff and about – and she said, she was like, I'm just very happy with the way com comics are going in this really cool direction right now that there's a lot of people of color and LGBT characters and it's a really exciting time. I'm just really stoked to, as a nerd right now. And I'm like, that's fabulous. And I said like – you know, did you know they just announced that they're doing like yet another Black Panther title, The Crew, which is, you know, characters of color protecting Harlem and it's being written by Coates and this poet. And and she was like, oh, yeah, no, that's awesome. And then actually, interestingly enough, asked me if I'd read Batwoman. So I suspect that Batwoman was like when I was like, yes, but I think I like the stuff that you probably didn't like and vice versa. So, you know. <laughs> So, oh, oh, which reminds me, did you read the Detective Comics issue, the the um, the first part of the Batwoman prologue? Uh, no. If it's a current book, I feel comfortable saying yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. It, it's current. It's it's uh, God, I've forgotten his name. James Tynan uh, yeah. is co-writing with Marguerite Bennett the storyline, mm -hmm. and it's art from Ben Oliver, mm -hmm. and it's just. It it is literally is the backdoor pilot for the Batwoman book. That's right. Oh, but, was this the one where a lot of people kind of lost their shit about the transgendered characters' yes, representation? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, Victor October. Right. Um, it's really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's really good, but it's so funny because it's like the least backdoor pilot ever. If that makes sense. Right. <laughs> like it really feels like they're like. You know what Detective Comics is about. Let's just put that on the far back burner for a while. <laughs> and do this two part story. Well, I uh, think, but, yeah. but it's really good. Like it, it is a, uh, it actually more than anything made me go, I wish Ben Oliver was doing the Batwoman in the book. Hmm. I was just like, Steve Epting's great, but I really wish Ben Oliver was doing this book. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I would, I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I, one of the things that I feel is kind of great about the success of Detective Comics and also its bi-weekly publication schedule is I feel like it's a little bit easier to take those detours, I suppose, you yeah. know. No, because... no, definitely. And I, and I think not just Detective, I, I think that a lot of the, the Rebirth titles are, are doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, let's have a two-part story, which doesn't seem to tie in with anything else. Right. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. A little weird, perhaps, but uh, interesting. Uh, also, I, I'm, we're just like pivoting. We're, we're following diversions all night. Yeah. Um, Kate's been reading the Rebirth Trades. Oh, really? Which is, which is super interesting because she's not a big comic reader and she's not a big superhero reader and she's not a big DC superhero reader. Right. But she's worked her way through Green Arrow, Aquaman, and she's currently on The Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been super interesting for me to see what she likes and what she doesn't like. Mm -hmm. uh, Green Arrow, no. Just hmm. she thought the story was amazingly disjointed. Uh, it, it just she was like, I felt kept feeling like I was missing an issue, and I'm reading the book. Mm. Um, Aquaman, she loved. Mm -hmm. 
which very much surprised her because it's much more like she likes the Brave and the Bold Aquaman. Right. You know, yeah. you know, outrageous. And, you know, the Dan Abnett stuff is nothing like that. And she's like, no, but I really liked it. It, it really worked for me as a drama. Which um, is, a, I think Abnett's one of those like really solid storytellers. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah. Abnett's Aquaman is really good. And it is really good purely because he is just a super solid writer. Mm-hmm. Where he just like he he approaches it as like there's no frills, mm-hmm. he's just like okay this guy's a king, but he's trapped between two worlds. He's going to try and make them connect. Don't other people don't want him to connect? Okay, I know what to do with this book. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it works because he's just very good at it. Um, she's really liking the Flash as well, and I think she's really appreciating how much how close the Flash is to the TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's so fascinating to see her, like, take on things or not take on things that I just, I just take, took a red. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating because it's like, oh, these rebirth books actually are working. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. even Green Arrow, which she didn't like, she was like, no, but I get that it's a new start. I get that, like, I did, did not feel, like, I thought the storytelling was choppy, mm-hmm. but I did not feel like I had to have read, you know, 75 years of comics before I started it. Right. Well, and I do feel, again, as we've returned to intermittently, I kind of feel that that uh, Marvel has sort of hit some sort of level of entropy with its everything's gone on and on and on, and there's sort of weird, like, reboot signifiers, but not even the signifiers that you would think, I suppose. Like, having something renumber, for example, means absolutely nothing. You know, and yet you can find eras within the the titles at which conceivably you could handle to someone. You know, for myself, I'm just finding that the only stuff that I'm really reading for Marvel or that I have any interest in is stuff that is outside the regular universe of stuff. So it's, you know, yeah. Squirrel Girl or... um Moon Knight's title or... Yeah, or, or Gwenpool or things like that. Gwenpool, yeah. exactly. Stuff that could not be farther away from the rest of, you know, whatever whatever particular product is in. Speaking of which, did you see or get or read the first issue of Marvel's new latest event, um, right? Where Monsters Dwell or Monsters uh, Attack? Monsters or Unleashed. Monsters, Monsters Unleashed. Unleashed. Yeah. Monsters Unleashed, which came out this week, and I think by Friday they'd already announced there's going to be uh, an ongoing series based on it. Yes, right, of course. Which is a hardly a surprise, and also very sad somehow. You know, right? It's uh-huh. like, oh come on, really? Yeah. Like you couldn't even wait until the series was more than an issue in, or for that matter, even a week after the release of the first issue. Yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, wow. It it really is the place your bets now as to whether it's going to last as many issues as The Fearless or, you know. Oh, place your bets now is it's going to last as many issues as the fucking miniseries. Right. Like, are we really going to get issue six of Monsters uh, Unleashed, the ongoing series? I no. think so. I, think I don't so. think we are. I think we're going to get. We are, I, th- I think if we are, it's going to be the last issue. I think we, I, th- I think that it's two trades. I think, I think if Marvel commits to anything, unless sales are abysmal, it's gonna, it, they're gonna shoot for at least two trades and see what happens. I think, I think it's going to be two trades, but I think the first trade is going to be the miniseries. Oh, interesting. 
All right, that would make because sense. Because I yeah. don't think the fact that they're launching a, an ongoing, literally the month after the miniseries ends, mm-hmm. uh, with the same fucking title, mm-hmm. makes me think that there's just not going to be a sales bump. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get a. Oh, it's a new issue. I think everyone's going to be like, oh, it's the spin-off issue. It's the next issue, and the, the, the I think the sales are going to plummet. <laughs> I just don't think there's any real faith in the in the crossover itself, but maybe that's just me. I mean, you know, well, yeah. I'm at such it's, a remove from weird, it. It's the weirdest crossover mm-hmm. because I mean, it's got the the spin-off issues, mm-hmm. but it kind of feels like no one's paying attention, including Marvel. Yeah. Well, you know, could, yeah. And it's, it's so strange because I told you the high concept behind it, right? Or the original high the. I should rephrase that. I told you the way that it was originally mentioned to me before it was announced. I don't think that you did, or if you did, it didn't stick in my little okay, Teflon brain. Okay, it was sold to me as it's a celebration of Kirby's monster work to celebrate his 100th anniversary. The 100th anniversary oh, yeah, you did tell me that. And I got to admit that that sounded so bullshit-ish, it sort of fell out of my head almost immediately. But, like, that's more interesting than it's monsters, they're fighting superheroes. Mm-hmm. Or, or the ongoing series, it's monsters, but they have a small kid <laughs> who's their friend. <laughs> That's honestly the hook of the fucking series. It's the monsters, but there's a 13-year-old boy who tells them what to do. Yeah, I, you know, I mean... Oh, shit. <laughs> but, okay, really? but, so listen, keep, let's keep it... Up. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. But see, there you go. But there you go. They're kind of like... But what if we do that again? I mean, just looking at the stuff that's seen, you know, I, I was not paying attention to how clearly, if, if only by their adjectives, I'm supposed to associate Squirrel Girl, Gwenpool, and Wasp, right? Because it's like unstoppable, unbeatable, and unskippable, or whatever the fuck it is, you know? And it's... Gwenpool have an adjective? I honestly thought it was just called Gwenpool. No, it's not. It's, it's, uh, hold on. It, cause, cause I was remarking on it just recently. It, uh, it's called the Unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah, Unbelievable Gwenpool. Yeah, see? So, it, they're all unsomethinged. And it's, uh, it's, I'm like, huh. I mean, they're not the same book. They are, are all, and I forget, is Hellcat called something? No, Hellcat is called Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Patsy Hellcat, Walker, I think. A.k.a. Hellcat, okay, great. So uh, there's just that weird – so, yeah, Marvel's like, uh, we w- this is what we're doing. And and in a way, I think Monsters with a 13 – you know, commanded by a 13-year-old, I, you know, if nothing else, this Monsters crossover, I'm willing to give it a thumbs up of approval if only because, thanks to it, Marvel put – all the issues of Devil Dinosaur and Kirby's The Eternals on sale at Comixology for ninety nine cents an issue. You know that, that is how you get you give Marvel passes these days. That it totally I have is. no yeah. interest in your interest in your latest crossover. However, yeah, it did mean that I could pick up you yeah. know Omega the Unknown the entire run <laughs> for four ninety nine. Exactly, and then I managed to get you know. Whatever. Right. No, exactly. No, you're, the you're, battle issues of Howard the Duck for 99 cents yes. each. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Part of me is like, okay, Marvel, whatever you want to strip mine next, that's fine with me. So yeah, no, it's, it's really embarrassing. In fact, the good comics that I was going to talk about, two of them are the first two issues of Devil Dinosaur, which I'm just like, 
Fucking is it Kirby or the Kirby? Kirby. Okay. I I tried Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I think I might have read three issues via yeah, the power you of Marvel. Unlimited. Really liked it, and then you did not. Yeah, exactly. Like the first time, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, this is great. And then yeah, the next issue, I was like, ugh. No, this isn't going to work for me. I think it's the one where the Hulk shows up at the end, and I was just Amadeus Joe Hulk, and I'm like, yeah, just not going to – just didn't fry my burger, so to speak. So uh, – but yeah, no, Marvel – part of me is like I, I'm fascinated by – I again, my secret theory is Marvel is trying to create a new market. It's trying – it is uh, – and by new, I mean not – New for it. It's try if it's trying to get into the scholastic book oh, club oh, yeah, arena. That's is, yeah, yeah. I, and I know that's, that's not new. They're but, not even vaguely hiding yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So part of me is like, I kind of appreciate that they're trying to move into a new marketplace. I just find it a little. Um, I just can't imagine that kids are really going to be that excited to be like, oh, great, Fing Fang Foom, you know, or whatever ends up happening to be. Well, but, but again, place. yes. And now, now I'm going devil's advocate and going against what I previously said, but why shouldn't kids be into Fing Fang Foom? Uh, like, it's not that it's like, because it, divorced from the history of it, mm-hmm. on the one hand, there's nothing there. But on the other hand, there is. He's a goofy-looking dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, if you give him enough of a personality, he's got a funny name and he looks goofy. Like you could make something out of Finn sure. Phantom. Well, I don't think I don't think Marvel can. Actually, well, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, as someone who really enjoyed what Roger Langridge was doing with Fing Fang Foom during his various god i can't even remember what the issues were called where he was trying to make them a thing that was actually fun stuff but um i just think how do i put it it's gonna sound really weird but part of me is like it it really took people who were smart enough to kind of have the talent of like oh yeah you know and in this case i think it might have been abnet and lanning unless someone else was behind them helping assemble the team who were like oh yeah groot you know Rocket Raccoon. Like, there's there's deep cuts in the Marvel inventory that can work. And like you said, in theory, it could be Fing Fang Foom. But part of me is like, I think they would have better luck with, like, fucking Oog or something like that. Because, I don't know. Again, part of me is like, Fing Fang Foom is just, it's kids. It's I'm just like, I can't imagine a 13-year-old really enjoying saying that. You know? Like... Somewhere's Groot is something dumb enough and simple enough. You know, like, Fing Fang Foom, for me, really, just saying, every time I say it, I feel kind of like a dumbass. Because there's a little bit of, it's, it's when Stan Lee's working a little too hard to dress up how really basic and by the book some of the stuff is. But like you said, yeah, it's, a giant dragon wearing underpants is really... You know, again, it's the difference between having a character called, like, Godzilla as opposed to calling him, like, Smexior the Great. Like, at that point, when the the simpler the concept, the more I feel like everything has to be on point. There might be a lower threshold, but by the same token, if you kind of fuck one thing up, people are just not into it. You know what I mean? It's funny because when we're talking about Fin Fan from part of me was like, you know, give it to Disney. 
Disney made Big Hero 5 work, or Big Hero 6. Right, Big Hero uh, Big Hero whatever number. It's right. 6, right? Mm-hmm. I want to say yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sh- I'm sure Disney could make Fin Fine from work. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I genuinely don't think Marvel could. Yeah. Because I don't think Marvel can do the necessary thing, which is to dump its history. Well, I guess. I mean, I, I, maybe. I, 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 that could be. I mean, I think the shit with Fing Fang Foom is you don't have a lot. You got some stuff there, but you don't necessarily have a lot. You know, I mean, look at how quickly like, literally, they. Literally, you dump everything and mm-hmm. start over. He yeah. looks like this. He has this name. Right. Everything else is yeah. up for grabs. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I honestly was sort of surprised by how much. You know, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur made a point to bring in Moon Boy, even if it was just a kind of to kill him off. Yeah, shit on him and kill him. But right. I'm like, I mean, yeah. that's just it. Like, it's it's unnecessary, but it's also the Marvel way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to tie this in because you're worried that someone somewhere is going to complain. Yeah. And ironically, like, I think DC's problem is the opposite. Right. That no. They're right. like mm-hmm. young animal. Yeah. And people are like, is this is this part of like Rebirth? Like this is and they're like, ah! <laughs> But look, Gerard Way <laughs> And he's like, Yeah, all, all the published stuff counts. And then you can just imagine DC being like, or does it? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh-huh? Well, you know I always, I, as much as it pains me to interrupt you when you're doing your your imitation of uh Comic hucksters. Uh, I I do want to say that um, I really enjoyed of of the good comics that I read. Uh, I liked Cave Carson four, and uh, I love I fucking love Wild Dog. I have to say, like having read the original four issues of Wild Dog, where I was like, oh, this isn't bad, and then I read the Wild Dog special. I'm like, fucking Wild Dog is great. Like, there's a Fucking awesome! I I really love the fact that Max Allen, Alan Collins and Terry Beatty created the character. Like part of it, it was just he was such an atypical character, but the design is is surprisingly it's strong. Like it's yeah, it's the wild, wild dog looks so good. Like it's such a great design. It really is a good design. It's really interesting to me looking at Terry Beatty's work because Beatty is not a He's not a dynamic storyteller, you know, in the way that his stuff is laid out. It's very much from a different era. It's hardly surprising to me that, you know, he and Collins did Miss Tree. And then later, I think they both go on and do Dick Tracy together, I think, um, which is weird because Collins doesn't have any of Gould's dynamism. He, he kind of doesn't have dynamism in his storytelling, but his facility with drawing real people is he's got that classic um ability to like draw six people and you can tell each one apart like you know he just does minor nuances but but the the thing that's crazy about wild dog is for me it's it starts off with this great idea of like here's a superhero you don't know who it is it could be one of these four guys like the you know the 
female reporters narrowed it down to one of the four guys and you don't even know which one it is. And then in the last issue, you find out. And then what I think is kind of fabulous is, is then in the wild dog special, uh, Collins and Beatty have basically another, um, card up their sleeve, which is, you know who that guy is, but all the other characters weren't red herrings. They're now the characters who more or less are trying to manipulate or drive that character in different ways. And it's... Do you want me to to blow your mind a little? Sure. You're missing a whole middle chapter. Oh, really? Or maybe a third chapter? There's an entire, I want to say, three runs or at least two runs of Wild Dogs that were in Action Comics Weekly by BT and uh, Collins. Oh, that would have been after this, I think. Okay. I think, because Action Comics Weekly is a little farther down the road than this. Maybe not, though. Wild Dog. I, I want to say it's after, it was before the special, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. No, Wild you, Dog you're special. probably right, because I always forget One. that Action Comics Weekly is like... Let, let me check. Wild Dog's... Uh, the Return of Wild Dog, Caged, was 1989, and I... No, that can't be right. There was another issue after that? Really? No, they're lying. They're lying to me. Okay. Okay, so that's 1989. Mm-hmm. Excuse me while I sneeze. I was about uh, to say, that was really fascinating, whatever was going on over there. So, Action Comics Weekly. Come on, when did you go weekly? Tell me when you went weekly. 1988? Oh, no, it was dead by then. So Yeah, 1988, yeah. So the special is after... The, the the Action Comics Weekly episodes are between the uh, the miniseries and the special. Wow, that's amazing because the special is you know the the last issue of the miniseries is you uncover the identity, but basically the reporter and the cop are like, okay, we know it's you, and you have to quit. And then he quits, and then the special is him being like, yeah, I've quit, and these guys made me quit, and the CIA guys, secret operative guys, like. Not anymore. I've reactivated you, you know? And so it's amazing that there's a middle – if there is a middle chapter, they did an amazing job of suturing it so that it's perfect. But I, um, I Part of me wonders if the special is episodes of the weekly that didn't run. Because the weekly died super early. Right. The weekly didn't even last a year. Right, from 88 to 89 or something like that. So, uh, six oh, it was 601 to 642. So yeah, it was just short of a year. Right, right. Which is a shame. Man, what an ambitious, if only the, just imagine how different the industry would be if that had stuck in a way. It was know? nuts. It was a 48 page weekly. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it had, I mean, it had some, had some terrible comics in it. Well, I think that's part of the problem is, is there were just, there were too many, I mean, it was, I, I think I'm not sure if the marketplace was ready for it, and I, I freely admit that I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" But also, when you picked it up, issue. <laughs> see, this is a big split issue. between us. Yeah, exactly. No, and I, I know. I yeah, honest. I mm-hmm. wish that I still had every single issue. You know what? Honestly, looking at it, I had this thing of like, I would love to fucking buy these because having dipped my toe into stuff like between 2000 AD and I mean here you have you have an attempt to do something like the manga model of 
Yeah, everything that what, we've been saying. What let it down more than anything mm-hmm. is that it was so many writers who didn't understand how to write short episodes. No, I think that's really it. Like it, I I can see that because it, it you, it's it's kind of it's a it's a but real there's, there's skill. Some, yeah. But there's some great stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter David's Green Lantern is nuts. Mm-hmm. Is absolutely nuts because it not only pauses but makes canon for the length of the run before it's very quickly ignored that Hal Jordan is brain damaged because oh, yeah. the, the very idea that anyone could be without fear mm-hmm. shows that there is something actually wrong with them mm-hmm. uh, and it, it basically says oh you're brain damaged because you're a test pilot and you've crashed too many times <laughs> um, you have Wild Dog which was nuts mm-hmm. you have Marty Pasco and Rick Birch's Black Hawk which really was genuinely fucking great Really good. What else was in there? There was... Uh, Marv Wolfen did like two Nightwing runs, which were just not about Nightwing, which was hilarious. They were both about Speedy, to the point where the second one was actually called Nightwing and Speedy. Because wow. even the first one like, was not a Nightwing story at all. Like Nightwing was there, but literally he was standing beside everyone during the, the rest of the story. Um, Kelly Jones's, uh Mike Barron and Kelly Jones' Dead Man. Right. Right, yeah. No, I mean, there's there's kind of, like, looking back on it, that and the Marvel Comics Weekly title, uh, I wish, I I would love to go back and buy, buy those as well. Because there's shit in there that I, because I wasn't paying attention to, that they were like, okay, we'll bring back Gerber on Man-Thing, and okay, we'll bring back Don McGregor on Black Panther, and stuff that still isn't collected, like, that I'm just like, shit, I'd it's, love to get it's my hands so, on. It upsets me so much that uh, Marvel Unlimited is like, we'll just do the Wolverine episodes. Of oh, the there's show. nothing worse. When you see that it's on there and you're like, yes! And then it's like 11 pages and it's Larry Hama's Wolverine or whatever. And you're just like, no, but the, there's so much else in here. Exactly. It could, yeah, and the cover's like, meanwhile, you also get Wonder Man and Man-Thing and Luke Cage. Yeah, exactly. Like, I fucking read those stories. I know. I'm like, why didn't I fucking read this at the time? I was an idiot, you know. And uh, and it's sort of the same way with Action Comic Weekly. Wild Dog is a great fucking idea, especially if you make Wild Dog a little more, to me, un- unhinged, which they don't – they kind of hint at in the Wild Dog special, especially once you've got – he's like – he is – he's actually a competent, hyper-competent, his own guy kind of deal – but the fact that the CIA guy is basically able to take him and manipulate him into doing what he needs him to do, um, there's there is something that I'm like I just think that there, that's just got such a great. Uh, I'm I'm like you can do a lot of stories on it, and it's kind of like the marketplace really wasn't ready for it then in a way that I feel like the marketplace arguably is much more ready for it now. Well, there's, yeah. there's just, I mean, there was, especially from DC, and this is partially because, like, I've picked up a lot of this really cheap since. Yeah. Uh, but there was so much stuff like that coming out. Like, do you remember Outcasts? Which yes. was John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Cam Kennedy. Yeah, right, right. Doing no. a 12-issue series for DC. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That is, that is essentially a 2008 strip yeah. that they did for DC Comics. Yeah, right. No, I mean, I, you, Give them. I really do have to give them credit. Like DC tried like shit to diversify their line, even in the '80s. I mean, it's one of those things. Like you mentioned, putting Showcase 
100 up at uh over at the Tumblr and one of the things that I do adore about that issue is is that umbrella for me really opened my eyes to how much shit that that DC had really jammed into showcase like if you look at the appropriate you know the the various versions of Marvel Spotlight and Marvel Premiere like a lot of it's like same old, same old, you know, like you'll get like, oh, here's eight issues of Iron Fist. And then here's a Hercules one shot. And then here's that one issue of Submariner that, you know, got canceled out underneath us. And then there's the Warrior three. And then there's like, I don't know, you know, t- t- 10 issues of Moon Knight or something, you know, by contrast, by the time you get to that issue of Showcase 100, it's like it's got the sea devils and dolphin and Lois Lane and whoever the fucking fire dudes were. And, uh, Oh, the fire dudes was just like called fireman. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I have it right beside me. And I think it actually says, okay. Cast of characters from, from, uh, showcase hundred green lantern, the flash, the Hawk and dove rip hunter time master, uh, the metal men, the teen Titans, the atom Aquaman, Adam strange, Johnny thunder, anthro, Sergeant rock, fireman, Farrell, Enemy Ace, Nightmaster, Jason from Jason's Quest, Lois Lane, The Creeper, The Challengers of the Unknown, Space Ranger and Krill, Windy and Willie, who even it says here is Dopey Gillis and Maynard, like basically given new names because they had the material left. Batlash, Angel and the Ape, Firehair, Tommy Tomorrow of the Planeteers, The Inferior Five, Binky, The Sea Devils, Dolphin, King Faraday, uh, Manhunter 2070, Johnny Double, The Phantom Stranger, and The Spectre. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty great lineup of most of those titles, uh, characters. Like I think of those, and I'm like, a lot of them have really solid hooks. You know what I mean? Like I'm, it, it's stuff that I, you know, a couple of characters that I just flat out right love, like the Challengers. But just like a, there's such a wide range of shit there, and bless them, you get to the '80s and Marvel at uh, DC's still trying to do shit like that. If you look, like you said, Outcasts and Thriller and Wild Dog and uh, uh, Slash Maraud, right? Uh, Sonic Disruptors, the series that of course got canceled very quickly. Jam, uh, Son of Saturn, right? Jim, Son of uh, Saturn, Jim, Jim, Princess of Spanner's Galaxy. Right. Oh, Jesus. we're thinking of Amethyst. No, sorry, Amethyst. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what's uh, what's the damn comic Angel Love? You know, Angel Love. Oh, holy shit, Angel Love. But I mean, even the superhero comics, you had Blue Devil. Right. You know, you had Blue Beetle, which is is far more superhero. But like Blue Devil was fucking amazing. Blue Devil Blue is Devil was, yeah, it's, it's such a great comic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, amazing Man. Right. Oh God, Amazing Man. It was Amazing Man. Yeah. Hero Hawking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. There was so much stuff in the 80s yeah. where DC was like, okay, we know we have to do the superhero stuff, but what other stuff can we do? Yeah, and I mean, maybe it was a little bit of their feeling that there was, you know, kind of the same way that Marvel was like, well, the superhero cycle is going to end soon, you know, yeah. like, let's do supernatural I, I characters. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was that as much as DC thought there was money on the table. I I think DC thought there was money on the table. I also get the sense that there was just well, I mean, again, they were much more clued into uh you you had the you had British, you know, you've got the 
British connection. So you've got a bunch of 2000 AD guys that you're trying to figure out what to do with. And they themselves are not, for the most part, particularly comfortable with the superhero idiom. So they're like, well, let's do other stuff. But also you just get guys like, you know, I don't know, you know, Dick Giordano, I think maybe because he came from Charlton and kind of sideways. There was a whole bunch of talent that came via Warren and like a real awareness that there were other comics. They hadn't necessarily cut their teeth on, you know, they knew superhero stuff, but it wasn't really like that was maybe necessarily their first love, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, like Louis Simonson went to Marvel from Warren. Yeah, no, agreed. But um Simonson also did like, I mean... She went in as an as as an editorship, and she also again was the editor of X Men for a huge long time. Like that really is like doing a master course in Marvel Superheroics one hundred and one. You know what I mean? Like, so, and of course I say that, and even then, like Simonson was then, and then I'll do Power Pack. Well, see, that's it. You know, she she and and Nocenti, who also was an editor on X-Men come out and they're, they, they've got a wider range of influences. They have other stuff that they want to do. That's like really weird and, and offbeat. I don't know. I just have this feeling for me that I think that one of the things that if, if Marvel and DC were really serious about turning things around, like in a long-term way, it's, they got to bring back creator owned, contracts which they'll never do but even if it's just participation stuff because I yeah I, I i i agree i think that at least participation because you need to have something new mm-hmm. yeah um and it's it's uh i don't i don't think marvel ever will no. just do not yeah uh, i think dc might mm-hmm. if only because and this is being amazingly cynical, mm-hmm. but I think Vertigo and the creator-controlled slash creator-participant slash creator-owned concepts that have come out of that have proven to be more valuable to Warner Brothers. Well, yeah. I mean, that's you, it. You look at something like iZombie. You look at something like the Losers movie. I mean, none of them are big successes, but – iZombie is certainly like, making them a lot of money for something that was a really well, low-end yeah, investment. Was, like, yeah, 18, mm-hmm. 18, yeah. Well, that's just it. You get you get a year's worth of a, a TV show out of it. Yeah. You know? Or in iZombie's mm-hmm. case, three years. I think it's on, in year three. Uh, and I think, I think that is something that they consider valuable. Well, Although, you know, I say that and then look at uh, the April solicits apparently end both Clean Room and Unfollow at Vertigo. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, I think that's I, that's the other problem is is I just – I don't know. I mean, the the flip side of it, I think honestly the only way to really convince them is turn around and be like, hey, okay, here's Image Comics. It's got, you know, 10% market share in the industry if we had creator owned contracts, you would have half of that, if not more, you know, because some people would go for the full creator participation, but other people are really, I don't know. It's for me, it's just the number of people that tried to get in the door at Vertigo and couldn't because it was such a narrow little, uh, bottleneck. Um, 
But I just think I, you just look at this stuff, and to me, there's just an awareness, if nothing else, for a lot of people that they're like, you know what? I can make a go of this elsewhere and still own things. And frankly, for what's be, for what the pay is in comics, not really live that much worse than if I was getting paid on some of this stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is the, the Vertigo payment system was still pretty decent and a lot of people would have liked to have been on it. But I just, I really do. I just look at the marketplace and I'm like, I just feel that there's... You just, you gotta get the new blood in there. To return to Fing Fang Foom, yeah, Fing Fang Foom is, uh, is, you can maybe work something out of there in part because it's a character that doesn't necessarily have a lot of stuff, you know, I feel attached to it. But honestly, it's, I think it's not gonna be nearly as successful as the person who sit there and is like, I'm really inspired by monster trucks or, you know, Whatever the fuck happens to be, whatever the kids are into that I'm so not aware of, you know? And the thing that's a shame is, of course, in some ways, a lot of what kids are really into now are, I don't know, you know, the Transformers or G.I. Joes or the stuff that was quote unquote new to us, you know? I mean, every generation, it's new to them, but... But I feel like your ability to make it sticky, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter, you know? Well, uh, sure. Uh, part of me is also, you know me, I, I, I am a fan of pop culture. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, part of me is like, fuck making it sticky. Like, get to the point where people feel confident making trash again. Because, because no, because when someone is, when someone is having fun making trash, it right. can transcend the trash. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. The the disposability of it is part of – that's exactly right. That the secret is when you make something that's actually really disposable and therefore has the maximum amount of fun, I feel like there's a greater chance of it actually sticking. Like if you go to try and make it sticky, it doesn't work in the same way. Like sometimes you can do that. You can get the people who are really – you know, in there, but you know, you, when you read someone like Pat Mills talking about uh, the shit that they were creating at 2000 AD or even back in action or whatever, most of that stuff is was just the idea of like, yeah, let's sell a bajillion copies now and be aware that, of course, in two years the idea is dead and you just move on to the next one. Even someone like, you know, Kirby in the 70s, I adore the fact that he's fucking doing. Devil Dinosaur, like reading the first two issues of that and being like, how fucking strange that is, you know, in a way that you've got this guy who builds an empire, you know, and is still just like not going to sit on his laurels like the the he had grown up with the comics industry being so cyclical that he himself really couldn't sort of sit still for it long enough. You know, that he's just like, yeah, let's create more things. I was I was walking um, on my lunch break back from work uh, and there was like some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles billboard that's promoting some tie in like the New York City is using them as a way to get kids interested in New York or something, you know, and it's like (laughs) the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles take Manhattan, you know, and I was just like. Who would have thought, like, again, like you said, the disposability of it, 
Eastman and Laird did not sit down and be like, this is the idea that we are going to, you know, that that's going to be around for like three decades. They're like, this is our sort of like weird, loving parody, but serious take on, you know, Frank Miller comics and the X-Men and look at, and look at where it is like 30 years later. Like you don't necessarily know what's going to stick, but yeah, like having stuff that's trashy, like wild dog is again, it's, it's just one of a, you know, about a dozen things that Max Allen Collins has worked on over the decade. You know, I'm sure I'm undercutting the number of things that he's done by at least a dozen, but you know, I look at it now and I'm still like, you know, the parts are good. Like the, it was built to be like a story. And he was like, yeah. And I've even got the spin of once you figure out which of these four characters it is, where to go with that next. But like, mm-hmm. when I look at stuff, what's happening in TV and television, like, I'm like, Honestly, Wild Dog would totally, again, it's like, this would work as a TV show, and you even have your season two of, once you spend the first season of figuring out who the character is, and you think that's going to really end the premise, you've still got more places to go with it, and frankly, you've still got an absolutely fucking amazing design of a dude in a hockey mask and a sport jersey and camo pants that works, that fucking works. That's amazing. Yeah. That really is like that beggars belief in a way. You know? I, I am going to pivot off this in the biggest pivot we've done yet. Oh, episode. my God. I've told you before about my love of the good place on NBC, right? Uh, I don't think that you have. I feel like it's universally are, are you, are accepted. Are you familiar with the show? I am familiar with the premise of the show. I have not started watching it, but I've heard great I, things about it. I am not going to say anything beyond this. A, it's been my favorite show this year on television. Right. B, the season finale was genuinely narratively perfect. It was, and I can't tell you why or give you any more hints. Mm-hmm. Suffice to say that the show posits a particular question. Uh-huh. And then the season finale answers that question in such a way that you're like, you are the smartest fucking show on television. Mm-hmm. People who have, who watch the show will know what I'm talking about. Right. But they do something in the season finale, which is uh, to, to play off what you're saying about Wild Dog, answers the question of the show up until that point, mm-hmm. and then goes, oh, but here's the spin going forward. And mm-hmm. instead of going, well, you've answered the question, I'm not interested. Right. You're left going, I want the next part now. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, which is great. Which is great. That's what it's supposed to do. And to pivot off your pivot, because it sounds like you had to be intentionally vague, let's talk about the exact opposite of that experience, which was the finale of season four of Sherlock. Uh, I don't know... Oh. Oh, I, as you know, I love Sherlock. I love Stephen Moffat. This season was rough, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It really Holy was. Motherfucking shit. Yeah. I was, I was fascinated by it because, you know, I have this thing that I'm just like, it's like, oh, okay, it's, uh, who's the, it's, it's like, you read, 
the Gatkiss excuse, you know? Like, when I was following Who a little bit, and uh, with Sherlock, like, Sherlock would have, like, three episodes or four episodes. One of them would be a stinker, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is the one written by Mark Gatkiss. That's just the way it happens. So when season four opens, and it's a Gatkiss episode, and I was like, oh, that's really, oh. And then the next episode, I was kind of like... I think this is good. It's certainly better yeah, than what right. became before yeah. it, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me, me too. And then the cliffhanger of the second episode, you're like, this could be a jumping the shark moment. Yeah. But, but you know, the rest of the episode has been pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I'll see where they go. Yes. And then the third episode was like, fuck y'all! <laughs> yeah, exactly. It It really was a whatever the next level you do to the shark well, maybe yeah, it's a it, fucking no, the re- shark moment, you know. No, but, but it yeah. really was. It was yeah. amazing. And there were individual moments in there, which I really liked. I really liked the uh, Moriarty reveal in that it made it look like Moriarty was coming in. And then yeah. midway through this, they're like, five years ago. Yes. Like, I loved that. That I was that was that beautiful. Part. Yeah, no, that, that, that moment right there was was. Great. And that's one of the things that I thought was really interesting about about that season finale is that part was great. There were lots of little individual parts that were g- great, like wonderful yeah, and delightful. Yeah, that really, really worked. And yeah. Then, but as a whole, it was terrible. It was terrible parts, as a whole, There was also parts that it? really, really, really didn't work. Yeah. Like, in general, the explosion in the flat – that they jumped out yes. of in the most unconvincing explosion that's oh ever been seen on television. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, are you taking the piss? Yeah. Because it seems like you're taking the piss. It, it's, I think there was also some level at which, for me, the season finale of Sherlock is, and I could be, I could, I could be wrong, but for myself, it was like, okay, their Moffat's shtick, or to be generous, Moffat and uh, Gatkiss's shtick is essentially exhausted. And but they really did exhaust it. Like by the time of that episode, like maybe two thirds of it. Like the more one of the great things about the Moriarty twist and reveal is all throughout they keep doing their like we're going to have our cake and eat it too. Of like Moriarty's dead. But he's not. But he is. But he's not. And when you get that reveal and he shows up on the helicopter and his triumphant, you know, showing up exactly the way that you would expect him to as a triumphant return. And then more or less the the genius of it being five years earlier. And you kind of realize that that Moriarty basically enters every room like that forever, his entire life. And you're like, oh, that's kind of a genius little bit. But yeah. the whole, the rest of it is all that kind of, we're going to spin on the spin on the twist and the twist and the twist that has the twist and the spin. And then it's not going to be the thing, like halfway through the whole, I don't know about you, but the whole framing element of the little girl on the airplane, like, I don't know about you, but for me, even as a guy who doesn't really watch a lot of Moffat, I'm like, 40 minutes in, I'm like, okay, I'm calling bullshit on the whole thing. That scenario oh, doesn't God, no. exist. It, it, you know? Yes. It, yeah. I, to be fair, I did that, like, really, like, mm-hmm. pretty much as soon as they went, oh, no, there's a plane crashing. 
cut to Sherlock, I was like, so they're like, that's not real somehow. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a flashback or something. And as soon as they were like, she's calling in. Yeah. I was like, oh no, it's, it's got to be fake. Especially when like we've knocked you out and you're still like in this plane and no one has woken up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The part where it was like, it's, you've been out for hours. And I was like, no, that's actually impossible. Yeah. Like, the plane would have crashed. <laughs> yeah, no, there was just various levels where I was just, I mean, I had that suspicion immediately, but it was a little bit of, by season four, it was, and that last episode, I'm like, they managed to drive all their tricks into the ground, and even somehow doing, by basically jam throwing them at you like three times as fast, didn't make it any better. It somehow managed to make it worse. Which yeah, I it, there really was there was far too much. There was far too much in the episodes. Yeah, and just the continual like, but no, but no, but no, exactly it ended up just being irritating. It did exactly. But you were was just in like, such just... a bad mood by the end of that. Like seriously, when they finished the episode, she their first words were, "It's funny. I think I was in a good mood before we started watching that." Was was like her first comment because she was so intensely irritated by it. And it really was this thing of like, wow, it's, it's, it was a really, it was the opposite. It was somehow a swan song that was a belly flop. Like you look at all the pieces of it and I'm like, I'm sure they thought that what they were doing was great. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure they were like, this is the greatest send off. We yeah. don't know if this is the last episode, but if it is, it's the greatest last episode ever made. And it really, you end up going, I don't think I need to watch any more Sherlock. Yeah. No, absolutely. It, it really sure, did like, Don't get me wrong. I'll totally, like, if they make another season, I know yeah. I'll watch at least the first episode. Well, sure. Sure. But part of me was like, like, it was, it was that send off where you're like, yeah, good. Riddance, which is yeah, exactly which is which is weird and disappointing and the exact opposite of where you thought you were going to end up emotionally you know but in terms of a send-off where it was like okay well it, it okay also didn't like it also did not ring true yeah isn't you that know because ultimately they were like sherlock's the best because he's been emotional all along right and you're like has he i'm pretty sure that's not the show i've been watching for well, up until this point I, I, I do feel that there were, I mean, I think one of the things that I appreciate about Moffat is his, like, sort of like Grant Morrison, he pretty much insists that he can have it both ways. You know, there's always this level of like, no, I can have my cake and eat it too, which is really in, served him surprisingly well in stuff like, Doctor Who, where essentially you've got the show working at cross purposes so much of the mm. time, you know, mm. it, at least in to- tonally, you know, and yeah. and with Sherlock, it was sort of the same thing of like they're like, oh, we're totally going to be able to to have it both ways. We're going to be able to have, you know, sure, we're going to actually show, and this was very much what they felt like they were working super hard on. In that, in, in the fourth season of like, no, 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 no. Sherlock has feelings. In fact, he has all the feels. And we're really yes, going to yes. contrast that by showing the rest of his family. And, and it just, it, it didn't, it really was one of those things that was too forced, 
you didn't believe it. And also there were, it's, it's weird the way in which the things that you can cheat on and the things that you can't, I guess, you know, it's really funny. There was some part with, uh, with Gatkiss's character with, uh, Mycroft where I actually thought that they kind of did pull off some level of, oh, but no, this is the way that he is. Kind of like, I don't remember what it was, but it, there was some level of his um, his way of burying his control freakiness into a form of caring, I suppose, that that almost sort of ends up making sense or I don't, unfortunately I don't remember it. Roy was kind of a fleeting ephemeral. Oh, I think it was maybe just something of, of the way they had Mycroft's vanity playoff. I don't remember, but yeah, the way that they tried to position Sherlock as, as, as someone who ended up having to become what he became because of the influences of everyone else. It just, it really didn't ring true. It really did. The cheats were really bad. And they, they, I guess it's that thing of you can cheat all these other things, but if you really cheat your conception of your character, um, you kind of, you really, you've got to, you've got to be brilliant to make it work. And they just weren't. It was, it was a lot of flippity gibbet. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned Doctor Who and I know you don't watch, mm-hmm. but the Doctor Who Christmas special this year is it again it's just like it's not that it's bad it just doesn't work mm-hmm. right and it doesn't work to the point where i've not finished watching it yeah wow and so that's a month later and i'm still only like halfway through the episode and to be honest i like i at no point have i felt any particular urge to finish watching sure which is really interesting to me because the previous season mm-hmm. i think had been the strongest season of doctor who in fucking years really yeah, and I'm like, I don't quite know why Moffat is so amazingly inconsistent. Mm-hmm. But he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is amazingly inconsistent. Well, I it's I think that it's because there's a little bit of the 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 quote unquote swagger that I occasionally talk about. When you have a creator who is able to have the confidence to sell his shit. Like when it's working, it's like a home run. But when it's not, like their self-belief in, in themselves somehow prevents them from seeing that they're really doing horrible bullshit, I guess. And then it just ends up being twice as bad. Do you think yeah. it's that? I mean, because that's sort of how I feel with stuff like, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah. I think that's possibly true. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think what made the, the last season, last full season of Who work was that Moffat got very attached to particular ideas that just happened to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it doesn't work, and, and also when Sherlock doesn't work, it's because he gets very attached to ideas that don't work. Yeah, exactly. But when he has an idea in his head, he's, he's full bum on doing it. Well, and I think there is that, like part of what makes it a, uh, can make it such a giddy experience is there, that bravado drives them into a spot where you're like, oh shit, that really shouldn't have worked. And it did. And therefore I've now seen something that is quote unquote new to me and it's great. But yeah, when it, when it's, when that fails 
and oof, man, the stuff Sherlock is really interesting because it, the whole four seasons, the hit to miss ratio is pretty like it's 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 a really uneven set of series. But what's amazing is how much the bad shit is more or less so outshone by the good stuff. You know? I, I think, I think at least in your memory. Yeah. I think Sherlock is a genuinely great series mm-hmm. up until the end of the third season. And I think since then you had the, the, the Christmas special, right? Like the, oh, we're all in, it's Victorian times. Or is it one? Right. And then the third season. And I think that those four episodes are, are at their best shoddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I honestly think there was like an element of, is it genius? Oh, there's a bit of a shit episode, but it's genius again. <laughs> the other seasons, and then the season is just like, oh, <laughs> oh every, every, all of them. Oh, you know, I, maybe, maybe it could be. I mean, I, I just part of me remembers like there's for whatever reason I can't imagine like the Hound of the Baskervilles episode is so bad to me that I'm just like. Oh, and- and the, the second episode of, this, of the first season is really bad as well. Because I remember watching the pilot and being like, this is great. And then you yeah. watch the second episode and you're like, ooh. Ooh, yeah, But then exactly. the third episode again was really good. Yeah. That's what it used to be. It used to be yeah. like you'd have a good episode, a bad episode, and a good episode. Yeah, And then exactly. this, year, this year that was not true. This year, in fact, it was reverse. You had a kind of shitty episode. You had right. a pretty good episode. And then you had a, a dire third yeah, episode. Yeah, really dire third episode. Yeah, no. and uh, Well, and again, there were just weird factors – I, I feel like there were levels of the cheats just got worse and worse and worse. But anyway, that's that's a that's maybe a talk for another time. I I, I think I, we yes. are we are coming up in two hours, but I want to say very quickly because we're talking about shitty television. Yeah. Um, have you been? Have you watched Crazy Head on Netflix yet? No. Jeff, I honestly thought you would watch that before me. It's um it's Howard Overman from Misfits doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't, that's genuinely the high concept as well. I, I believe. What if, what if the guy who did Misfits did yeah. the Misfits version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Right. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've heard a little bit about it secondhand. It's so funny because part of me is like, um, someone was talking about it somewhere. I was not aware that it was on Netflix. Is it a Netflix original? Then is that what it's they a Netflix say? original in the U.S. Yeah, it's Channel Four and Netflix. Yeah, I I would I would I will have to check it out. It's so funny because I'm like, we did the Sherlock's. I'm trying to think what the fuck we were powering through before that. Oh, Line of Duty, which I don't know if you if you watched. Did you did you bother with Line of Duty? I don't the, even know what it is. Line of Duty is like a uh, it's like a three. So far, there have been three seasons, and um. Edie got into Great by Jed it. Mercurio. Yeah, Jed Mercurio. The first season is kind of like he's like, "Oh, I've got this idea for this sort of um trashy, you know, crime series that's about cops who investigate crooked cops and the the fight between, you know, basically how much the people who are the the crooked cops and how much the good guy like the blending and then the people at Sky TV or whatever were like sure as long as you make it more like the wire so the first season has such weird 
bolted on pieces that are just stolen outright from the wire and don't really <laughs> work. And, you know, um, but, but there's some really sort of strangely enjoyable performances in it. And there's some great writing, like, and it's funny because I know that the Travis Bickle guys have covered it and I'd be curious to see, um, what they, what they would say about it. But, because I, I imagine they the the shittiness would really be uh, kind of a, a bit of a stopper for them. But what I love, and you may not dig, is as someone who really loves uh, James Elroy stuff, there's a lot of interrogation sequences between the anti-corruption task force, AC-12, the members of that, and the um, various crooked cops. And one of the things that's fun about each series is they more or less either don't go where you think or they spend much more – they get there much faster than you would think. Like the first ser- series of um, of, uh, of Line of Duty has a crooked cop who's being manipulated by his mistress in like the first episode. And you're like, okay, well, I can see where this is going to end up. But – she's like dead by the end of the second episode and each progressive series more or less takes the point of just where you think you know where it's going. It puts a twist on it pretty much by the end of the first episode. And sometimes it's forced to shit, but um, it really does go on to uh, hit its stride in terms of the scenes where the cops in the interrogation rooms are trying to outflank each other there's some really great sequences there. Like I said, in a very hammy Elroy-ish, like the dirty cops are never quite as dirty as you think. You're supposed to feel something for them. And meanwhile, the part that the show does not do particularly well is the idea that the, the anti-corruption guys are actually a little more compromised. That's not done nearly as well as the bad cops who are who have their own desires and drives, and that really kicks in in the second series where Keely Haas comes up as basically a um, police inspector who who the only thing she loves is basically being a cop, and she's under suspicion of being on the payroll to help kill off a. Uh, witness and witness protection and the whole investigation of her and where that goes. And then the third series when the, where she sort of comes back is it's really satisfying because the third series pays off all these elements and characters that are, have been introduced in the first and second series and ties everything up. And so it's really enjoyable, cheesy British TV, like at it at, at a genuinely enjoyable level, like to me, it has that. The third season has stuff where, unfortunately, it cheats. Like to to get the plot hammering, to get the characters in the conflicts that they need to be in. Um, you will want. I literally almost threw my TV out the window like four or five times during the course of it. But the great thing about, you know, British TV is you get really good performers who really dig their teeth into a role. And again, it had that kind of like, oh, this is great. This is like third season of Cracker Great, which hopefully that's the right season that I'm thinking of. But anyway. <laughs> is it, so is this on Hulu? Uh, it is on – yeah, I think it is on Hulu. In fact, yeah, we watched it on Hulu. And uh, 
yeah, it's I, I don't necessarily know if it would be your thing per se. Oh, I, I have I have so much to watch that I will. Yeah, you'll like never even if it. I'm like, yeah. I'll get around to it, then I'll get around to it like the summer. Oh, but, Jesus. Yeah, no, exactly. Tell me about you it. know. Yeah. But but I I will definitely take a look. I, it's it if nothing else, Jed Mercurio's name alone. Oh my God! Er- Let me er- tell my you. attention. I, I feel, honestly reading Jed Mercurio. Part of me was like, so it's Garth Marenghi. <laughs> I swear to God, Jed Mercurio writes exactly like the way you think someone named Jed Mercurio writes. Like when you start watching that show, you are going to be like, oh my God! Only because he writes and produces it, and. Only someone named Jed Mercurio could have, like, just the level of portentousness that Line of Duty carries with it at every stage. And again, and it's unsubtle. Like, there are so many shows that are a million times more subtle than Line of Duty, like America's Funniest Home Videos. Those Japanese game shows of guys <laughs> getting hit in the nuts, like most episodes of Law and Order, and yet that's somehow almost precisely what makes it work. So exactly, you're like, that's why I'm watching. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I'm watching. So yeah, it's uh, it's it it was it's some amazingly fun stuff. So that's what we were doing before we were doing Sherlock and a few other things. Uh, for people who, of course, absolutely do not care about this, my beloved Nashville, which uh, I was sort of horrified to see get canceled and then come back to country music television, at least the first two episodes are up on Hulu, and it is the most goddamn dire thing you have ever seen. Like, if ever there was a show that should not have been brought back from the dead, be brought back. Maybe it will get better, but I, I, oh, I watched that with Edie and it was before Nashville had been kind of started is like, oh, it's a trashy show with some potential and it's better than you think. And then more or less proceeded to slide from that not exactly sterling heights, but slip. And then by the time it finished, you had just that moment of like, oh, well, thank God it's over and they kind of did with some of the characters what I wanted, and there was closure. And then they were like, surprise, we're back, and we're going to actually make all of that look like you had just watched, like, I don't know, f- fucking Roots, you know? Like, it's... <laughs> um, we're, we're back on all those things that you were like, well, I'm glad they didn't do that this yes, year. We're, we're doing back them. to do. We're back to do. We're doing stuff that is non-fucking-sensical. Enjoy. And it's, ooh, oh, it's so bad. And part of me was like, oh, it's because they've got this new creative team. But then the first two episodes are, are like, written and directed, not, not at the same time. Like, the first episode's directed and the second episode is written by Callie Curry, who created the show. And I'm like, well, at least she's someone who knows the characters. And I was like, apparently not. Apparently, apparently no. <laughs> Well, oh. what that means is, like, when country music television got it, they clearly were like, here's what we want the show to be. Well, uh, right towards this. You know, honestly, it could be it could be that, except it's weird because in, in, that, in which case I think country music television was like – wanted it to go in a direction uh, that nobody wanted it to go. Weirdly enough – after four seasons, for whatever reason, there was like an exit contract. So part of the reason why I think ABC decided to cancel it 
is the current team was leaving and the new team that was coming in was uh Ed Zwick and Marshall what's his name? Basically what, the guys, from thirty something? Yes. The guys from thirty something were taking over Nashville and everyone's like I, I guess was they're like alternately who I, thinks I this guess is a good like idea? My so called life. Right. I mean I guess. I mean, I think they just produced that. Did they really write the episodes? I always feel that that was no, no, no. What's they, her no, name? they just produced it. It was, it was the the woman whose name I can't remember. Yeah, the woman whose name I can't remember. <laughs> what, what was her name? Seriously? No, I don't know, Graham. I don't know. But you, you know who I mean, right? I do know. Yeah, she was, she was the woman who cr- totally created my so-called life and did all the major episodes and uh, Winnie Holdsman. Winnie Holdsman. Yes, thank you. Wow, why couldn't why couldn't I remember that name, Winnie Holzman? Jesus, what else? Because she, she also to do. Uh, well, she was on Thirty Something, which is how she ended up with My So Good Life because they exactly. did produce it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then she, but no, then she did something. Fuck. Okay, okay, Internet. I'm going to IMDb uh, now. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, that's what she did. She wrote uh, Wicked. Not the not the the book the the book uh, uh, for the play. Oh, okay. Well, then that served her well. She also did Once and Again, which was around, I guess I was only around for a while, right? I guess I, and I feel like that she was... she did Roadies, which was the, the Cameron Crowe show with J.J. Abrams. Oh, what? wow. Wow, really? Hmm. What? She also apparently appears uh, in Jerry Maguire. Ah, well, that's part of how. And right, right? in Curb Your Enthusiasm. What? Okay. Well, I gotta say, uh, hats off to you, Ms. Holzman, for, for keeping us guessing. Cause, um, yeah. Anyway, I wish you'd taken over Nashville too. Cause, uh, cause Zwick and, oh gosh, no, it's just not good. It's just, they're, they're going, they're going to bad places and they're taking us with them, which I just, I'm not happy about, Graham. Anyway, so, yeah, for people who are like, how does Jeff feel about the new season of Nashville? I have to say, not strong. Not really strong. I I genuinely love that this this episode has been impressively scattered even for us. But then it it really did for like last hour turn into what we've watched on television. You know, but I feel like we used to do that, as people pointed out. I think we've just been a little too on point for the last couple of years there, Graham. Like, there were years where people would get much more of this. Like, I still remember us talking about Julie and Julia for, like, hours. Let's be fair. We also have not talked about a cleanse for a while, so we're still better than we used to be. That is true. Well, that is true. Better or worse? Because I have to say, I kind of miss those days, too. Uh, Graham, we we should leave soon. We should go. (laughs) But before we do, um, let me talk about some of the comics. Let me just give shout-outs to some of the books that I've yeah, been go, reading. Yeah, go shout-outs. Go. So uh, I really um, – Felony Comics number one, which is available on Comixology Unlimited. It's under the Crime Comics section, which is hilarious because it's guys like Benjamin Mara and Pete Toms doing really unbelievably offbeat takes on crime stuff. In fact, God, who is the guy who does the, the cartoon-like art that's, you know, ostensibly – like a horror pulp nightmare that's drawn like an an an, an issue of Mickey Mouse. I wish I had writ, wrote the guy's name down there because I'm like, good for you, sir, for channeling the spirit of the uh, the undergrounds. Uh, Killer Be Killed number five, which I enjoyed. It's back from its hiatus and um, again in a very weird place for its 
Brubaker and Phillips doing their, I don't know, we'll see. This particular issue after it came back from hiatus, uh, Brubaker has a real, like, oh, I'm playing at my media res slash meta text that he always jams into the front part of the comic that I kind of have enjoyed for the first four or five issues, and I'm kind of hoping he, he manages to turn away from. Because if he does it for every issue, it's going to start getting annoying soon. On the other hand, like I said, it's a really weird take on a superhero book, almost. Like, it's weirdly, if Spider-Man had a shotgun, is uh, basically how I guess you could characterize it. And uh, Hookjaw number two... Um, Again, weird, a really weird book. Cy Spurrier, I really bless his heart for having to keep trying to do the stuff, to do a Hookjaw comic knowing everything that we know about Great White Sharks. Sadly, it ends with like the reveal that was a non-reveal, as far as I can tell. But maybe that's just because I remember reading the novelization of uh, Jaws 2 much more strongly than most other people do. <laughs> Cape Carson has a cybernetic eye. It's got that amazing Tom Scioli superpower shit, which is just jammed so much comic into three pages. But honestly, I actually enjoy the front part too with way and Emming doing a unapologetic kind of pulp hero all those years later, it reminds me of actually a really good version of what was that disappointing Mark Miller uh, Flash Gordon book that he did? Oh, with... Starlight. Yeah, it's it's basically a much better version of Starlight. Um, Wild Dog Special, which I adored. Devil Dinosaur 1 and 2, which were great. Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. That is a book that if it, I don't understand why it takes five months between issues, but it's kind of a bummer. Um, I ended up having to reread the first two issues just so that I could remember what was going on by the time I got to I, issue three. I was going to say, you loved that book. I did and do. It's as a, as a story, it's as the comedy is really good in it. And I really like the hook. The guy who does the writing for it, I went, I was so uh, interested by what he did here that I went and grabbed his, some of his other work. And I realized he's kind of got a ways to go. Who is that? Is that Matthew Rosenberg? Matthew... He's, he's, he's now a guy at Marvel. He's doing yes. shit. What is he doing? He at did Marvel? the Kingpin. He did the Kingpin. Kingpin yeah. Book. Yeah. He, um, he's not all there yet. Like his 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 stuff on a page by page comedy hijinks yuck yuck thing is great, but the fact that it gets to basically I think the third issue to pull off the the his high concept of why these kids are going to be robbing a bank is real bullshit. And I like as in like it it doesn't make it's really half baked. It's not strong at all. And there was something that he did. I'm trying to think his other, what was his other comic title that I read a bunch of issues of that I don't even think that I bothered to mention. Did I write down the the titles of those? I must have. Um, it's about like, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also, I think from Blast, Black Mask, where it was kind of like the two kids, you know, who go on a crime, cross country crime spree kind of thing, you know, Kind of like, hey, let's pretend that nobody ever saw Badlands or Natural Born Killers, 
but like somehow managed to get like a lot of attention. That also has sort of clever dialogue on a page by page basis, but the story just totally like farts out. God, where was that? What the fuck was it called? Oh well. Anyway, um, to get back to my was supposed to be quick uh, overcaps. Uh, Gwenpool enjoyed it. Cape Carson, great wild dog, devil dinosaur, four kids walk into a bank. Still enjoyable, even though it didn't really hold up. Those excruciating Doctor Strange episodes and uh, the volume one of Capellian, uh, which is a manga that has had the first volume on Comixology Unlimited and had a bunch of issues for sale stupid cheap through Kodansha. As everyone knows, I am currently jonesing for a good manga. This one is about... Uh, Tokyo has actually been destroyed in a nuclear power plant meltdown that I, I actually wonder what year was Fukushima? Do you remember the Fukushima meltdown? No, I, I, I remember, but I couldn't tell you what it was. It, It happened in 2011. This book I think was done in 2008, unless I'm wrong, which is terrifying because it really has that like, Oh, here we are cashing in on the Fukushima concept. Uh, Tokyo has been destroyed by a nuclear meltdown. Um, but there are still people who may have somehow survived. It's 20 years later, and there are genetically modified um, teenagers who are sent into the remains of Tokyo to try and find survivors and rescue them. And what they are in the process of finding by the end of the first volume is is that despite all of the technological innovations that Japan has managed to do do to allow them to deal with the radioactivity in the Tokyo zone. um, There is someone else who has even better um, technological innovations that are also in the zone that they have yet to discover who they are or what their purposes are. So it's, kind of okay like honestly i was kind of like this is kind of dull but it's also not terrible and looks like it's building to something it's been a long time since i've read a manga volume that you could describe as a slow burn so i don't know i would have liked it better if jack kirby was doing it but what can't i say that about (laughs) uh graham any did did you run, run down a list of things that you found noteworthy or Oh God! So apart from what I read uh, earlier, I think did I tell you last week that I was reading uh, Colin Bun again? Colin Bun's Micronauts. Mm, no, you did not. I don't think. I don't think uh, me that. We we will have to talk about that in a future wait what because that's okay. one I would like to talk about in 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 detail because it is a wonderful uh, lesson about the dangers of deconstruction. Mm. Insofar as by the end of the first six issues, which is the first trade, mm. uh, they have not made it into the regular world and therefore are not micronauts at all. They're just dudes in space. Right. Right. Which uh, it's it's kind of a problem. Um, I have been reading a lot. I've been reading a lot of 2008 actually uh, because their uh, PR is ramping up for the the fortieth year. I read the new Thrill Power Overload, which I think I told you last week. No, you did not tell me. Or if you is, did, it didn't is stick. Great. The expanded is edition, great. huh? I really expanded do want to get edition. my hands on that. Yeah. It goes all the way up to this year. Wow. Uh, 
but also it has been entirely redesigned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the redesign is much better. I uh, should. I actually kind of love the old design myself, so I'll be all over that. I have to admit. I, yeah, I will get that. I highly recommend it. I yeah. mean, genuinely, massively highly recommend it. I want to say it's coming out digitally next month. It's, hey, it's super, super soon. Is, is, sorry, this is such a complete, um, totally driving your point of view, take, taking it and driving it off the road into the woods. The action comics reprint, was it OK Kids Go? Wasn't that supposed to get reprinted? Do I have the title right? What? <laughs> Shit. It's not called that at all. What's the what's the one that's like the Lord of the Flies, the kids who are surviving the hooligan oh, gang? Oh god, it's kids it's not kids rule okay or something like that? It's kids rule okay. Yeah, I guess that's it. That's fine. I got Why? two of the words right. Is that out yet? Isn't didn't they announce that they were reprinting that this year? I, or was I lost? I don't think so. I I, I could have sworn I they announced just... they were reprinting Kids Rule Okay. Shit. I genuinely have no idea. I hope they are. Uh, I I didn't know I didn't know if any of them had any reprints have been announced. Shit! I thought that they had a. I thought I mean, someone maybe, announced maybe, maybe they, they have. Maybe they have. I don't know. Well, um, there's nothing new about it here, so I think I'm probably wrong. Uh, there is a there's a one-off collection coming out really soon called 2080's Greatest Celebrating 40 Years of Thrill Power, <laughs> which is. Uh, just single episodes of series chosen by past and current creators of 2080. Wow. And like, I really liked, you know, whatever, ABC Warriors. I really like Nemesis. And you, so you get the creators talking about it and then you get the episode. And mm-hmm. it's just a great little sampler mm. of 2080. It's, it's, it's also kind of frustrating because you're like, oh, fuck, I want to read much more of that. Yeah. Um, cause it's just like an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I've been reading a bunch of 2008. Uh That's about it in terms of comics. I've been reading an awful lot of prose lately. Ooh, look at you, Mister Hoity Toity. Uh, uh, what did you say? Um, yeah, I've been, I, you know, what? although one of them was prose adjacent. Neil Gaiman's A View from the Cheap Seats, which is a, a bunch of his nonfiction. Wow, why did you, you, you know, honestly, I have to say, it's fascinating to me. I've been reading an awful lot of Gaiman lately. Yeah, you were kind of like, just after you dismissed him as always Twee. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I got this because I was at the library and it was right there when I was checking it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why not? And I, I, to be honest, I find his uh, nonfiction infinitely less Twee than his fiction. Uh, his nonfiction less twee than his fiction. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it, there. I mean, there's still bits where you just roll your eyes, but uh, there's also bits where you're like, oh, that's a really nice piece of writing. So, mm-hmm. so that that's where I am with that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it, it's been I've been having very disjointed reading experience. Like I've been doing an awful lot of classic Superman. Mm. Uh, but it's really just been dipping in and out of stuff lately. It's been. You know, I want to read something old. I'll read that. Right. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Kind of, kind of been doing the same. Unfortunately, I got stuck in a Miss Marvel pit. Yeah. But I wonder why. Like, is it, are you, I, I am honestly reading the old stuff because I find it oddly relaxing before I sleep. Mm. Genuinely, that's the extent of it. 
given the choice between reading something new and reading something old, I would read something old right now. I don't, it doesn't even have to be something that I have read before that is old. Mm-hmm. I just mean like for some reason comics of the 70s and 80s are – I am finding them more enjoyable these days. You know, I, it's uh, – I don't know. It's – I've been, I've been moving towards the old stuff. Uh, I think that there's a little bit of the I'm, – I'm not, I'm not uh, reading as much – well, I think part of it is the stuff that I've been buying on digital, I tend to buy older stuff before I buy the new stuff. Uh, I, I have, I've got a couple of subscriptions going, which is why like, um, the latest, uh, uh, kill, killer be killed. Um, you know, I read like the day it came out cause I literally downloaded it that morning and, uh, sort of similarly like Gwenpool, I think I read on my lunch break, but a lot of the stuff that I tend to buy is again, like this devil dinosaur. It's like, I bought all of those yesterday and then I read a couple issues today I don't know. I think I find myself being, I I think part of it is as I'm somewhat disconnected from the comic book store experience because of my workload, um, comiXology is not a great way to take, I guess, chances on new experiences. You know what I mean? Like, unless you literally sit down and look at everything that comes out like cause on Wednesday and just go through there and go like, Oh, I'll read this and this and this and this just because it looks new. I mean, you really can, you don't get much more than a cover and three pages to go on, you know? And so I think maybe that's part of why I just, but also part of it is, I think for me and this, I know this is very different than for you. I'm like, well, I spent a shit ton of money on the last Marvel BOGO. I really have to start reading some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and it was kind of like that with the Son of Satan. It's like, okay, I bought the trade. Now I've got to read the trade. Now I've got to finish the trade. And well, well, that's all. That's what you're doing with Ms. Marvel as well. Like, yeah, I bought exactly. it, so I might as well fucking read it. I, yeah. Talking about old Marvel that I've read, um, Kirby's Captain America. Oh wow, yeah. I I think that's weirdly going to be a perennial for me. You know, like it's, I've come back to a, it. Like, it's something else that feels like weirdly timely right now. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, I would like think mad, so. the mad bomb, the story? mad bomb Holy stuff. Shit. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, a secret elite decide to take over America by by driving it insane. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. timely as hell. Well, yes. uh, listen on that. Um, you know, I thought and we did a pretty good, exactly. We did a pretty good job uh, dodging the politics, which I think is I think was a good choice for for me anyway. Considering yeah, well, we my did. State, yeah, we but, we yeah. didn't. We didn't dodge it last week, so let, let's dodge it this week. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Graham, you want to you want to begin the wrap up? I would like to begin the begin, except in this case, the begin is an ending. You can find us all over the fucking internet, people. Uh, there are show notes for this episode and all the Wait What episodes and all the Baxter Building episodes at waitwhatpodcasts.com. Yeah. Uh, you can find us having a tumble. You're on Tumblr, <laughs> waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. You will find basically what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, this last week especially, it's been me reading things going, oh, I should just scan that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff, I'm not joking. You want to see what I've been reading this week? Go and look at last week. No, 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 no. It's true. I, and I do. I check it in. And I, I actually took a couple of screenshots of some amazing shit. Like I said, once I saw that Tom Wolf thing, I'm like, okay, well, I know what's going. I got to get back on Tumblr. So, 
Um, we are also on Twitter at Wait What Podcast. Uh, Jeff's on Twitter at LazyBastard at L A Z Y B S T I D. I am on Twitter at Graham M at G R A E M E M. Um, and we have a Patreon. We are a Patreon supported podcast. Yes, I went from Patreon to Patreon. You can't stop me. I'm going to change the way I say it every single time I say it. Maybe next time I'll say Patron. Who knows? Well, Jeff, about to save say. me from this. Just save me and do the do the, the spiel. Oh, I, I'm actually going to dunk your head just a little bit lower beneath the waves, Graham, because I wanted to talk about the exciting new uh, social media startup that we're on called uh, Patreon, where the point is is that people actually um, sign up and pay us a small monthly fee for us to patronize them. So it's it's kind of a new twist on Patreon. It's uh, it's it, but it. It's, I think it's a slight difference, but I think it's going to be a, a good one because it's, you haven't lived until you've been patronized by Graham McMillan. Is all I can say. But <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Patreon. If Thanks, you don't mind. Jeff. <laughs> Glad to help, Graham. It is it is an amazing thing where a really wonderful group of people come and help make this uh, all possible for us. Um, the Baxter Building Podcast would not exist if it was not for uh, us hitting a certain stretch level. Um, people who are incredibly great about uh, the fact that they appreciate what we do enough to throw us a few dollars. And it does a great job of making us both feel, certainly make me feel sort of appreciated and uh, help counterbalance all my uh, natural low self-esteem. So among those amazing group of people, the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, uh, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, we're especially grateful to everyone. But uh, those two uh, little uh, cadre, as it were, um, have managed to help keep us uh, alive and untrammeled in a cosmic sense. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, Graham. I'm moving yeah, into it's just, a... it's just turned into words. I know. I it's like the Roy em Thomas is like, yeah, yes, yes. Empress Audrey's uh, friend, partner, Andrew Bear, a shout out, and say the, the Legion of Superheroes stuff that I've been reading has fantastic George Tusk art in the re issues I've just read. And for some reason, I feel that Andrew really, A, will probably know the issues I'm talking about, and B, totally dig the chunkiness of the Tusca art. Wow, so, George Tusca on Legion of Superheroes, oh, man. Yeah, so it's, it's only for like three issues of Superboy, but it's fucking amazing art, Jeff. It's so good. Really? Like, I, Tusca, Tusca is another of these artists who like I never dug as a kid. Uh -huh. I'm reading this stuff in, in Superboy. It's just fucking gorgeous stuff it's like alex toth-esque really i would have to check that out because i love tusca but tusca's work from what i know of him on marvel is such a um uh what's the cry what's the word he, he's kind of um you know what you're gonna get like part of me is like i can't even imagine how like you know his characters look kind of faintly bucktoothed a lot of the time you yeah, know yeah, and heavy browed yeah. and Yes, yes, which is is was like my takeaway, and then I saw the stuff, and I was like, "Oh, this man was fucking amazing!" Oh wow, wow! Really, there's there's like three issues of Superboy, doesn't it? They're so good. They're so good, Jeff. Um, anyway, we're getting away from the point. The point is, we're gonna shut up, people. You're free. You're free of the spell. <laughs> of those... <laughs> well, it's true, and in <laughs> fact, next week is a uh, skip week, right? Yeah, you're. They're free, Jeff. 
Oh, yeah. They're free. Sorry, I thought you meant just from this episode ending. But oh, yeah, no, yes. I see you. That as well. <laughs> uh, but no, they're free. And they're free next week. But then the week after that, it's the Baxter Building. Wait, Graham, you're confusing me already. So wait, next week they're free. Then the week after, you're saying it's the Baxter Building. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Well, it's certainly overdue. Graham and I will have some minor scheduling things uh, when we get off of the air, actually, to talk about. But <laughs> Which um, means maybe it's not the week after next, people. Uh, just let's yeah, let's see here. Will you confuse me? Let's. I'm like I don't know anymore because you confuse me about what a next week means. Graham, please get us out of this. I don't think we can. Bye. I got his out, Jeff. I got his out. <laughs>